Good evening. Um, we're going to do a part of a Fabrengen. The Rebbe would give Fabrengens, and the best Fabrengens were on Purim. Obviously, Purim is Purim, so the Fabrengens on Purim were like on a different level. So um, this is from uh, Purim 1971, in Tafshin Lamed Aleph. Um, I'm, I chose a section in the middle of it. The Fabrengens went on for hours, and I'm not going to teach the entire Fabrengen. I chose two little, two portions. They, it looks long, but it's much different than regular learning. When we learn a mimer, it's very condensed, and there's a lot of explanation that needs to go on. That's why we learn two pages, three pages. It's a lot. Here, I just have to translate. It flows on its own. The Rebbe's just like talking. And sometimes he's very, very humorous and very entertaining. And obviously, at the same time, godly. So it's really, really special. Um, and the lessons are very powerful. So that's what I decided to do today, simply because it's before Purim and it's a good thing to do, and also because it's a little easier for me. As I mentioned, I wasn't feeling too well. Hopefully, I'll have a complete refuah and I'll be able to teach Azoi, but this is great. <coughs> Sorry. Purim. Regarding the days of Purim, upon them, it says, this is in, by the way, for those who want to look it up, this is in Sefer Teres Menachem, Chelek Samach Gimel, volume 63 from Teres Menachem. This is a set of books that basically records all the Fabrengans, whatever the Rebbe said, throughout all the years. And I'll have a few, probably by the end, that we'll have uh, about uh, all together, about 120, 130 books. Um, in any case, let's go. Regarding the days of Purim, on them it says, that for the Jewish people, it was light, it was joy, and happiness, and yukar, and glory. As it's related in the Megillah, how for the Jewish people, everything turned over, everything became full of light, full of joy. So let's, for a moment, uh, take the time to explore the name of these days, the names of the holiday. By first prefacing. This is not just a name that people decided on. Askemi means it was a decision that people decided to give a name uh, like the word shem heskemi is a term used in philosophical works where they talk about the concept of naming something so they call it, you know, everybody agreed upon. It's like an agreed upon name, the Hainu, which would be like everything else. You know, the other, sometimes I, 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 I wonder when you go through towns or cities or even big, big, big cities and you look at the names of streets and you wonder, like, who was part of the thinking board who thought, okay, this street is going to be named Bally and this is going to be named, they're like, who came up with these names and why suddenly that? It's like now we can't name anything because we're not building anything new. Everything just is. I don't know, where is this, like, something new? How come I, you know, I would be excited that to name new roads and name new things. It's like everything is just already there. You just got to pick up. So when it comes to uh, naming the Megillah, naming the Yontif, naming the new, you know, Judaism, we, we experience it now already. Everything's old already. It's going to get exciting because Mashiach is going to come and we're going to have a bunch of new things to give new names to and new experiences and new everything. 
But meanwhile, it's not. But the, you know, when, when they had new yamim them, new yamtivs and new things, how did they come up with the name? Hi, no. So it's not. It's not like kind of It's not. He's saying it's not that in order that they should know that they're speaking about uh, specific days. His dabru They have uh, you know um, agreed upon by count, by speaking it through and coming. Everybody everybody consented. Let's give it this name. But rather. Uh, then, then, but then you can't ask why. You know, why did they decide to call this street, uh, whatever, Wilshire Boulevard? Why did they decide to call it? Because that's what they did. You don't have to have a purpose and a meaning for, for, for Wilshire being named Wilshire. They needed a name, they picked a name. Um, sometimes there was a reason. Sometimes the guy who, you know, uh, who, who was the first person to live in the neighborhood was called Wilshire. I don't know. Uh, but here, it's much deeper than that because it's a Torah name. When a name is called something according to the Torah, the name indicates the content of it. Not only the external content, but also the internal content. The soul of the matter. When Torah gives something a name, it's the soul of the matter. As it's understood by what it's explained in the book of Shar HaYichud Ve'amunah, the portal of unity and faith, in Tanya, the second part of Tanya, but in the beginning, where the Alter Rebbe over there says, these are his words, he's quoting the words of the Alter Rebbe, that the name, which something is called in the holy tongue, draws forth the very living vitality and energy into that entity. As he actually explains in the end of that book, in the Haggah, in the footnote, Shakol Ois, in a side note, Shakol Ois, who betumunam yuchedes pratis, hamoira al tziram shachav is galos oir. The Altareb over there brings, and he says, that every letter has its own unique shape, which is indicative of the style of the flow and the revelation of the light. Meaning, the letters, a lamid has a certain, you know, you know, it swings to the right and then goes down like that. It's because the flow of energy in the Lamed somehow is related to that shape. And, uh, and a different letter is a complete different energy related to a complete different shape, and so on and so forth. In um, other words, it's even reflected in the shape of the letter. And like the teaching of the Mizritcha Magid that is known on the Pasuk. The verse says, Everything that Adam, Adam, referred to, called something by its name to any living being, whatever Adam Harishon named, because Hashem says brought all the animals to Adam, so whatever Adam Harishon named that living being, who Shemoy, that's its name. So simply it means that from here now and onward, that will be its name. God agreed that if Adam said, this is a mosquito, that from now on and onward, this will always be a mosquito. And no one can change that. Okay? But he says that's not the meaning. It goes much deeper than that. What does he say? The name that Adam called it. That's the living soul. In other words, the Mizrit Shemagit changes the, the word Nefesh Chaya in this Pasuk. The simple reading of the Pasuk is V'chol Everything that man called, every entity that man named, what did he name? 
Nefesh Chaya, when he named any living being, because God didn't bring the grass to him, or the inanimate, God brought only the animals to him. It's a whole question if Hashem also brought to Adam the fish. Did he name the fish or he didn't name the fish? It's a question. But animals he definitely did name. So, Nefesh Chaya, whoever Adam named a living being, Hushamai, that's its name. The, the, um, the Maggit says no. Adam. Every name that Adam Arishan gave it, Nefesh Chaya, that you should know, that's its, that's its soul of life. Adam was able to pinpoint the unique spiritual energy that's in this particular animal. Adam was able to see what's the, what's the unique energy that's in a monkey. And he was able to call the monkey Kuf. And that name of a Kuf that he named the monkey, or Kuf, that's the soul of the monkey. That's called in that name. And therefore it's his name, because that's its soul. And it is also stated so, and also explained so in Shlach Kadosh. The Shlach Kadosh explains. What was the great wisdom? How, how did it, because it says that the angels complained, why are you making a big deal about a human? And Hashem said to the angels, well, huh, he's so much wiser than you are. And to prove it, God started bringing the animals to Adam, and Adam would name the animals, and with this God proved to the angels that Adam is superior to them in wisdom, in knowledge. Um, he said, his wisdom is greater than yours. So how? Because he knew how to call an ox, ox So the Shlach says, well, I mean, you, Adam could make up anything. There was no uh, copyright yet. Everything was just original. He can make up any sounds he wants for everything. So there's nothing to, like, well, what, what, what's so wise about it? So he explained, the Shlach says, that Adam Arishan recognized the soul. The root and the source of everything, as it is above. Just like to an ox. An ox is just an example. That the ox down here originates in the ox that's inside the chariot. An angelic being that's called the ox. Very, very high. And therefore, Yoda, he understood. That also below, you have to call it ox. In other words, Adam Arishan was able to see the spiritual biology of every creature. When he looked at something, he was able to see what this thing is in its original form. And he was able to trace it back to many, 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 many pre-creation levels, I mean pre-physical levels. And he gets to it in a very, very high abstract spiritual state of existence where that's where the, this creature actually originates. And if from there he was able to know what its essence is. But a moving, it's understood. Shashem Shar Lamaila. And it's everybody understands that the name of ox above, Enoshem Askemi, it's not just agreed upon, oh, let's call up there in the chariot when the name, when this supreme angelic being called the face of the ox of the chariot, everybody understands it's not just a happen tense name, which you know you just you know chose anything that would be meaningless. Well, in order that we should know what we're talking about. Ella, rather, but rather through the three letters, Shin and Avav and Reish, and precisely in this order, this will create the ingredients to bring forth this type of an existence that's the ox that's in the chariot. Take the divine letters, Shin, Vav, Reish, put them together, it will produce this angelic being. 
And then after many, many evolutions, from this will, will evolve even the ox, the physical ox. That's the same DNA as it gets physicalized in our world and tangible and concrete. That, that becomes the ox. So if that's true about all creatures, how, that's obviously true about Torah and about Torah names. This understood. So this is also understood regarding to the days of Purim. Since this is a name that is given in the Torah, so this is indicative on the content of the matter. Okay, Paraklamates. And therefore, so the Pasik explains actually why. Here you don't have to guess. The Pasik tells you why the Yamtiv is called Pur. Purim. It's for this reason that these days were called Purim, Al Shema Pur, because of the lottery. Shrey Haman Hippel Pur, because Haman cast lots. Because he thought, he thought that the lots were going to work against the Jewish people. But afterwards, these very lots were converted. That the Jewish people ruled over their enemies. So we are celebrating the lots which Haman thought was going to be detrimental to us. And then those very lots turned over to our luck and to our, to our benefit. And this is also an answer on the question, if it's called on the name of the poor, what does the, 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 the Pasuk say? It's called Purim al-Shem ha-Pur, for the sake of the poor, which is the lottery. So if so, why don't we call it Pur? Pur is coming, why do we call it Purim? Why is it called Purim? Purim means lots in the plural. So the answer is, now we understand. Because there's two, there's two lotteries. Even though it was only one lottery, it's two lotteries. There is Haman's intentional lottery, and then there is the actual lottery. In other words, the Haman's intent in the lottery was one thing. It was a very dark lottery. And uh, in the end, it was a very bright lottery. So, but, so that's why there's two Purims, there's two Purs over here. The key of Shayashna Pur Kfisharatza Haman, since there is the poor that Haman wanted, Hippel Pur who Agarulafne Haman, he cast a poor, which is the lot that's in front of Haman. That means this is the way Haman sees it. It's a wicked lottery. And then you have the, the lottery as it turned out in the end that it was Venahapahu, it was converted. So that's why we have two letters, two levels in poor. We have Purim, two lotteries. And the way it is, is that we emphasize both of them. It's not like we forget because we just don't want to deal with the dark days. No, no, no. Purim very much remembers the darkness of the decree. Because that's the whole beauty of Purim. That the very dark things themselves led to the greatest joyous salvation and, and redemption. Loidak pur lashen yachid. It's not just poor in the singular, as it was according to the truth, the truth of the matter, turned out for the good, for the benefit of the Jewish people. Oh, so we don't say that. We mention both lots. Why? Because this is a, this, is a, this was a goodness that it is recognizable that you can see in the goodness that it came about through the, through the overturning the lot that Haman did, through the flipping over of Haman's lot. 
as we've explained earlier in the, in the Fabrengen, the Indian and the idea that Purim is a unique yomtiv. It's a yomtiv related to the idea that from the trouble itself came the, came the salvation. As the Pasuk says, the Eist liyakov, it is a time of trouble to the Jewish people. Umimena, and from the trouble itself, Yivasheya, we will be helped. Not we will be redeemed. The trouble itself will cause a, a Yeshua. Shazao Yeshua Shaloi Be'erech, which this turns out to be an, a, a Yeshua. It's not like God saves us from somewhere else, from within the trouble itself. Like Haman prepared the tree itself for himself. Like, like Haman, like Vashti, the, 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 the sheep prepared the way to, to, the, to, the, to the redemption. Like all, all these things that flipped over. Like Haman gets rid of Vashti and he really is responsible for Esther. And then when, 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 when Mordechai is put in charge over the whole government, it's, he takes the ring off Haman's hand and he now gets the ring on it. It's the very same Ahasuerus who was willing to sell them down the creek, who now has a change of heart, and he becomes their benefactor and their best friend. Everything is a The very bad becomes good. And that's the idea of mimeno yivakshaya, that the tzara itself gets flipped over. And which is a much greater Yeshua. Since it comes, it's the idea of darkness turning to light. So it's similar to the very general idea. The Yisra that there is general light, and then we know there is an advantage of light when the light comes from the darkness. You say to Mizeh, and even more than that, not only, oh, I'm sorry, light greater than darkness, but even greater than light, greater than darkness, is when there's first darkness and then there's light, even greater, his hapcha when the darkness itself, not that we first had darkness and later is light, so we can appreciate light much more because we first had dark days. Like a person who's very poor and then becomes rich, their joy with their money is so much more than someone who was always rich. Um, but, but it's deeper than that. It's the darkness itself that, 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 is, that is became the light. Right? Advantage of light coming from darkness can be that one of them comes after the other. Or one triggers the other. But there is a much greater idea in light. His that the darkness itself becomes bright. That night itself, that darkness itself is bright. Like it says, that night will shine like day. The night itself will shine. This is the highest level of light. The idea that the meitzar, the squeeze, becomes the broadness. It's the word in the Baal Shem Tov, where it says, Tzohar Tasa Teva. A Tzohar you should make to the Teva, which is a window or a diamond that was, a, was, a, was a, like a luminous object. So the Baal Shem Tov says it's the same word as Tzara. You have to take the word Tzara and turn it into Tzohar. It's where the Tzara itself becomes bright, becomes an, illuminous, an illumination. Baruch has explained in many places. So the same is also regarding Purim. The, the Rebbe is saying this because he's saying that that's why it emphasizes that it's Purim. We include in the holiday's name, we include also Haman's Pur, which was all bad. It's not as it was from God's perspective in the end. 
where Haman cast lots, basically all Haman was doing from God's perspective, as he really saw it from the beginning, or on hindsight, all Haman was doing was choosing a good day for a good blast of a holiday, where Jews are going to have a blast. That's really what he was choosing. But that's not what he thought he was choosing. So even in the mind of Haman, when this was going to be a holocaust, God forbid, that too is part of it. Uh, because that very poor that Haman cast, that was flipped over. In other words, had it not been so dark, it would have never been so bright. This emphasizes the greatness of the Jewish people. Not only as they are on their own. How wonderful is our lot. How beautiful is our, is our portion. How good is our portion. How sweet is our, is our lot. And how beautiful is our inheritance. That's things that are related to us because we're Jewish. We have to wait for the non-Jew to get involved. Even when we get we encounter our brother Esav. Haman is Esav, because Haman is a descendant of Amalek. Amalek comes from Esav. So even when we stand face to face with our brother Esav, and so we're not just looking at our lot that God chose Jacob. No, we're standing face to face with Esav. And nevertheless, he never oyevas Yaakov, the Abishta loves Yaakov, which means that there is a conversion. Even when there is this uh, closeness of both of them, the Abishter extracts Yaakov, elevates Yaakov, and uses Esav himself to enhance Yaakov's, Yaakov's state of being. So the Rebbe says, very good. So then we understand why it's called Purim. Not just poor, but also Purim. But here's the question. What's the question? The Megillah, the Megillah Atzma Namar Hippopur Hu HaGoyrol. The Megillah itself refers to um, the poor, and the, and the Megillah knows we're not going to know what a poor means. Because poor is not a Hebrew name. Poor is a Persian word. So the Megillah itself actually says that Haman cast a poor, and the, Mishnah, and, and the Megillah explains, that is the lot, the lottery. So you see that the Pasuk itself gives it a Hebrew name, a Lashon HaKodesh name. If so, since the name Pur is not in Hebrew, not in the Holy Tongue, but rather in the Persian tongue, that's what we have to say, Pur hu agoyrol, that Pur, that's the Goral. It's the lot. When they named the Yomtev on the name of the Pur, what are they naming the holiday? They're not naming the holiday for the Persians. You're naming the holiday for the Jewish people. It's going to be a Jewish holiday. So name it in our holy tongue. They should have referred to it. What's coming? Which Yom is coming next week? In two weeks? Gorolos is coming. Now I know it sounds really bad. Who would, who would enjoy a Yom called Gorolos? That's because we're used to it being Purim. But if we would be used to it for thousands of years, calling Garalota coming, we would have great songs on it. And we would have, whatever, it would have been good. The ain loy, we can't say Shatev is poor. Now you might want to answer and say that really poor is also Hebrew, it's also in the holy tongue. It's just that somehow it's a holy tongue word that got lost and became and, and, and got like hijacked by other languages. Like we find that concept. The Torah uses the concept, I'll see, let's read it inside. 
words of the holy tongue got mixed into other languages. As explained at one time at great length, which the Rebbe says that he, he spoke about this once. The sages, say, the sages say that on the words that we say in Shema, the sages say, what's totofas? Totofas is tefillin. What is totofas? What does the word mean? So the, 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 the Gemara says that tat and pas, tat, pas, that's what the word really is, tat and pas both mean two. Two and two, which comes out to four. Tefillin has four boxes, four parchments, four... Uh, so that's the idea. That's why it's called the tat pas. So it says in the Gemara, in which language is this? So the Gemara says, tat is in katfi. Katfi was a certain uh, ancient language. And pat is an African. So in African, pas is, means two. And tat <coughs> is in katfi, which, again, I'm not sure which language that is, is was two. So, Shemavuah b'mefarshim. But the Rebbe explains that it says in Mefarshim, She'ena kavana she'ech nisu b'toyra ha'teves tatu pas. It doesn't mean that the Torah integrated African language into the Torah. We're talking about the Chumash. That the Torah assimilated words that are not of the holy tongue. Melashoynes kasvi v'afriki. Elosha, melashoynes kasvi v'afriki. Nish'aru ha'teves tatu pas. Melashon ha'kodesh. It's the opposite. A word of Hebrew of tat, which means two, somehow, you know, uh, got fablunged, made a wrong left turn, and ended up in katfi language. And the same is also um, the, 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 the other word, the pas, wandered into African language. It was a Hebrew word that got assimilated into their language. Like in other languages, that you have Hebrew words. The same is also regarding the teva, the word pur, in the, in, the, in the language of modayuparas, that pur is really a Hebrew word, and therefore there is no problem referring to it as purim, because it's actually lashon Kodesh. The Rebbe says it's not that case. Pur is really a Persian word. Because if, teva, if the word pur would have been in, in the holy tongue, then the Megillah would not have to explain immediately that Pur is the Goral. Since the Megillah itself gives an explanation that Pur is the Goral, is a sign that it's not a, it really is a word that's foreign, and we have to explain it. If that's the case, so why don't we name it after a, a, a Hebrew? Why do we name it now? Okay, that's the question. The Kivan Shanema Puruwa Goyrol, since it says Pur is the Goyrol that I move and it's understood, Shagoyrol Ubaloshana Kaidish, that we turn over the page, page 276, that Goral is the word in the, in the holy tongue. Upara, Upur, Ubaloshan Parasamadai, and Pur is in the language of Parasamadai in Persian. Vafopikan, Hiva Teva Zuba Megillah. And nevertheless, it's brought in the Megillah. Even though in Chumash we said, we're not going to allow other languages of that. That's why we said when it says pas, it means they're really Hebrew, but they made their way in other languages. How come in the Megillah we're not so pure? The answer is the Megillah is different. The Megillah was written during the time when Jews were in exile. So the Megillah doesn't have to be such a pure language. Like we find that there are actually words in the Megillah that the sages had no idea what they mean. There's two words, ashtaranim b'nei haramachim. That's, the Gemara says in Mesechtas Megillah, no one knows what that means. 
It's uh, some Persian word that they used then, and we don't know today what it is. It, they basically sent, they sent them out through the, 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 it says when they sent the letters out, they used the Achshtaranim B'nei Haramachim. Now what that is, Achshtaranim, it was a certain UPS service. But who, what, where, and when, why is it called Achshtaranim B'nei Haramachim? The Gemara says we don't know what it is. That's why the Gemara says if you read the Megillah and you don't understand, you still fulfill the mitzvah. Why? You don't have to understand the Megillah. As long as you hear in Hebrew, you hear every word, it's okay. So the Gemara says, because you see, no one understands what Achshtaran and B'nei Machim is, and we still fulfill the mitzvah. So you don't have to understand as long as you heard it. Akaponim, <coughs> what do you see from there? That there are words in the Megillah that are not of the Holy Tongue. And Purim is one of them. It's just that whoever, Purim is, the Megillah explains what it is, and Achshtaranim, it didn't explain. Um... We don't know what they mean. Like the Gemara says, the Rebbe doesn't say what those words are, but the But over here, he also brings the explanation of the word "pur hu agayral." That "pur" is the gayral. The imkain, and if that's the case, when they decided to name the holiday Purim, and without explaining that this is the gayral. On Purim we call the, the holiday only Purim, not Gairolois. We should have called it Gairol or Gairolois. Veloy Purim and not Purim al Shema Pur. Okay. Now, Perek Memalif, the Rebbe says, This question becomes even stronger. The Rebbe is going to intensify the question. Explained in many places, especially when we take into consideration how important the, the, the theme of lotteries are to the idea of Purim. To the whole decree of Purim and the whole miracle of Purim, the idea of a lottery is very, 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 it's, it's very essential. Like it is hinted to in the gematria, in the numeric value of the word. In Yonoi Shal Haman Maschil Ma'amalek. Not, the, I'm sorry, not the connection of lotteries in general, but the the lottery as it's called Goyrol, that it's that that word Goyrol is connected to Purim. Why? Haman Maschil Ma'amalek. In Yonoi Shal Haman Maschil Ma'amalek. Haman starts as Amalek. On him it says, the first of the nations is Amalek, and his end will be destroyed. And afterwards comes Haman. Like it's understood in the Targum, the lineage, the, the, high, the lineage of Haman to Amalek. So Haman is a clear descendant of Amalek. Fine. And his power was the power of, the, of Amalek. The Isa B'svarim, so it's mentioned in Svarim 263, oh, from the Tzemach Tzedek he brings it. Uh, and the reason I think he says B'svarim is because the Tzemach Tzedek probably brings it from others. Rebbe brings only the Tzemach Tzedek, but the Tzemach Tzedek uh, brings it from others. She'goyrol im ha'koylel b'gematria Amalek. The word goral is gematria 239. Goral is 239. If you add the kolel, kolel means you add the word itself. So from 239 becomes 240. And now Amalek is gematria 240. So you see the idea of goral, which means beyond reason, 
lotteries is very connected to the power of Amalek. So you see that Goyrol is the whole idea of Purim. So it would make more sense even to refer to the Yontiv as Goyrol. Because Goyrol, its number is 239. And with the word itself, which is the number of Amalek. Now the Rebbe, so before he even gets to the answer, he's going to give you a whole long, fantastic explanation of what's the relationship of the concept of Amalek to Purim. And what's the relationship of Goyrol to Amalek? Okay. Ubahagdim, by first prefacing, Bir Ashaychesh al Amalek, the connection of the word of Amalek, in Mispar Reish Mem. Why is Amalek a matri at 240? 240 spells a word. 200 is Reish, 40 is Mem. Put Reish and Mem together, you get backwards, you get the word Mar. Mar means bitter. That we can understand. Amalek is the essence of bitterness. But frontwards you get the word rum. Rum means elevated. Which wouldn't think that Amalek is elevated. Yeah. It's hinted in what it says. Rum That God is exalted over the nations. And, and which nation is like the power nation is Amalek. And God is exalted. What he's going to explain is, is that Amalek, entire um, um, evil, is related to seeing God as elevated. And that's the way Amalek um, operates, and that's the way he actually poisons and, uh, and, and, and infects a Jew with his venom by all inserting the idea that God is very high and God is very elevated. In other words, God, God doesn't care about the details. That's really what Amalek is all about. He, and, 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 and he's willing even to make, to, to elevate God and make God so great as long as God doesn't care about him because he's so great. That's the concept. The reason why Amalek <coughs> is able to, like the Rebbe says in Yiddish, zichchepin, he's able to, to, uh, start up with the Jewish people. We have to understand, no nation has any power over us. The only reason a person can have power over us is if we surrender to the spiritual darkness of that nation. Then we allow that nation to have supremacy over us. So the idea over here is, our Yetzirah comes the Yetzirah comes and he begins to argue that God is exalted. That Hashem is to be found in the higher spheres. But the low, is very, very low. That God should get busy with something so, so minute and such. Which actually causes the Jewish people to say, Hayesh Hashem Bekirbenu is God amongst us? Am I? Maybe God is not amongst us. What is that? What is he referring to? That's actually the verse that the Pasuk says right before Amalek came and attacked the Jewish people when we went out of Egypt. 
The last words the Jewish people said before that was that the Jews tested God, Vasek says. They were complaining, there's no water, whole story. And, and, they, and their test was, is God amongst us or is he not? And the moment, in other words, they felt disconnected, they felt Hashem was not bikirbeinu, not amongst them. They didn't question the existence of God, they questioned the, the imminence of God. God's presence now, here, in time and space, and in their life. And, and then, Hashem says, you're doubting if I'm here, I'll let the dog come and bite. And then you'll cry out, and then you'll know if I'm here or not. That's what it says. If you're questioning whether God is amongst you, or if not, you'll let Amalek right in through the back door. And Rashi gives an example. Rashi gives an analogy. A father that was riding his son on his shoulders. Father's taking his boy. And what happens? Pug, and, and, and whenever the son needed, the father got him. Every time the child said, I need this, I'm t I need a drink, got him water. He said, I need a Coke, got him a Coke. I need this, got him that. Need to go to the bathroom, found him a bath. He took care of him all day long, whatever he needed, he got him everything. Right? And then suddenly, he, he's still on the father's shoulders, and they pass by someone, and he asks, hey, excuse me, you saw my father anywhere? He says, are you crazy or something? I'm schlepping over here, sweating away, holding you, and you're asking someone if I'm around? So he threw him off. <coughs> he says, now you'll know if I'm here. And the dog started up with him. He called out dad. His father was, you know, came to help him, but the very fact that he... So that's what it says. <laughs> you saw my father somewhere? His father said, you don't know that I'm here? <coughs> Sounds like a crazy story. Like the Jewish people... And this is, a, this is an indication... The Jews went out of Egypt. God was giving them food from heaven. He was giving them water from rocks. He split the sea for them. He, he did the most craziest things for them and they're still questioning, is he amongst us or not? So that's why Amalek came. So we'll soon see that it's not so crazy. We do the exact same thing. Who amongst us is not living everyday miracles and yet we still get scared when things happen. We still feel like oh, we lose, we lose it. And are you crazy or something? You think you survived till now without me? Like, what? Well, well, you're panicking. Where's the, where's the anxiety coming from? What's going on here? The idea is, how can it be? How can it be that the Jewish people are asking, is God amongst us? You just left Egypt. You saw miracles. The Jewish people saw. You saw with your own eyes. They said, this is my God. He was so tangible they can point him with their finger. And here's the answer. And we, 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 we do this all the time. It's only at the time that God does it for you. So last Monday you had a miracle. Okay. So God was with me on Monday. At the time we're going out of Egypt. While he's splitting the sea. Yeah. He's there. But after that. Once you're already back on the road. And you have to walk with your own feet. You left the sea. You're taking six steps naturally. Amalek comes in and begins to make you cold. To the point that the Yetzirah was able to affect them. The evil inclination was able to affect the Jewish people. That Jews should ask, Am I amongst us or not? 
Imu bikerbeinu or she'enu bikerbeinu? Is he amongst us or is he not amongst us? Huloi oimar she'enu ma'amin ba'ashem chas v'shalom. He's not claiming he doesn't believe in a God. Humayman shekadosh baruch hu. Of course he believes. And he believes so much. Loi raka l'kada l'kaya. Not only that God is the God of gods, that God is the original power leading other gods, like like the Kefisha Oymen Afilagoy, like a non-Jew also says. A non-Jew also believes that there is some super original power that originates and starts everything. Elazek Gam He says, this is my God. Yeshle Rak Safik. He only has a doubt. Amalek Begamatriya Safik. Amalek just cats a little doubt. Kadesh B'svarim. Hayesha Hashem Bekerbeinu. Is he amongst us? That means Kishaholchem Bederech HaTeva. When God lets you do things a little bit naturally, do you immediately feel like, oh, okay, now there's no God? Or do you realize nature is Hashem? He's here right now. It's not only because nature is Hashem, it's because Hashem is my Father and He's with me the whole time. He, even though He wants me to drive a little bit, make believe I'm driving, you know? The Jew says like this, Hashem shows Nisim, that was on Pesach. Pshas Kriyas Yamsav, time of Kriyas Yamsav. Pshas Yeridah Saman, when the man is falling. That's in the morning. In the morning when the man is falling, during between between uh, between uh, 7 a.m. and 8.30 when the man falls, okay, then I know God is here. But when it gets like already, like already uh, 11 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's no divine revelation happening right now, it's just a regular day in the desert, is God with us. Loimar. Because you can say, at this moment when things are working naturally, who needs God? So, because why would God be busy with something that can run on its own? The conduct down here is through the forces of nature. And and of course, the person says, I mean, who set up those forces? God set it up. This is God's will. The verse says it openly, that amongst the nations God is exalted. Why? Because He's up there in heaven. Hashamayim shamayim Lashem. The heavens are the heavens to God. Va'aretz nasan libnei adam. And the earth He gave to humans. In other words, once I'm in, on, on the turf of earth, then I'm on my own. And God is not present, involved, and therefore I don't have to, I can forget about Him too. You know, I got to do my own business. And since this is the godless space, so then I got to conduct myself with, in a very, in a very human way, in the sense that what, uh, in a very earthy way. It's true that there are three things that humans are like angels. That's what it says. The three things that humans are like angels. But that's only in the time. I forgot what the three things that were like angels. Three things that were like uh, uh, like like uh, people, or like animals. The Gemara says, is that we procreate, we eat. I think, and we have to go to the bathroom. So those are the three things that humans are like animals. Three things that we're like angels. I don't remember. I only remember the animal things. Look at that. In any case, Avol Zawirak, but the Rebbe says, that's only in the three hours. 
Shebehem mispalel, at the time when a person is davening, lo Torah, he's learning Torah, makaya mitzvahs, and he's doing mitzvahs. In the time that I'm eating and drinking and sleeping, and I'm like an animal. And this that it says, you're, you're called man, that means you're supposed to be higher. That's only in the three things that people are like angels. In other words, all my material activity has to be done in a very natural way in which I recognize only the natural existence and therefore I do them in the same way like an animal takes care of itself. I persevere, I'm, um, what's it called again? Preserving myself, taking care of whatever it is, the same, without any higher godly or purpose to that, to that, to that. Because, uh, because I don't see God in the very earthy, in the very, in the very physical. And therefore, so two things. Number one, a yid can have stress and worry and think that he's abandoned. Number two, we can live in a very godless state when it comes to our physical existence because we don't find that Hashem, is, that Hashem would be present over there. And that comes from Amalek, as he's going to further elaborate in a great way. And therefore, in order to wage war with Amalek, and to prevail over it, there is no space, there's no way for a person to try to debate a Molek intellectually. It doesn't work. Don't try to argue your way out of this. Because a servant needs a whip in order to be put on track. A servant will not, if your servant is misbehaving, You'll sit him down and have coffee with him and have a, con a consultation with him and explain him that it doesn't work. With a slave, you have a little whip, you give him one whip in the tuchas, and then for the next couple of months, he behaves. That's it. And the same is also with, um, with, uh, with, the, with the Yetzirah. That's what he needs. You can't, it's not... You don't always argue way, your way out. Not with Amalek. Amalek, you can't, that's not the deal with him. You gotta knock his teeth out. And just like the dog, Amalek is compared to a dog. How do we see he's compared to the dog? From the story we said before that a father threw his son down and the dog came and bit him. Remember, that was Amalek. So you can't, with a dog, you can't change a dog's behavior. Through conversation. You need to have a little stick. The dog is scared of a, of a, of a, of a, of a stick. You can't fight Amalek through reasoning. Because he's the best arguer. And he can argue back every argument. He's an amazing debater. He can give you the best arguments. He'll even give you holy arguments. He will tell you as follows. Because God is so exalted. God is so great and infinite and His wonders are so fantastic. 
It is just simply not appropriate to think on God that God is going to be perturbed and God cares that Eibishter is farkocht that God is all upset that you should wait six hours between eating your salami and you're having your coffee. That God is really bothered by this. This infinite, boundless God that created the entire universe with one puff really is sitting there and what really has in his mind, what's really going to ruin his day is if you have your coffee after five hours and 45 minutes. And that's really bothering God. And that's what he cares. Eh! Hashem is infinitely beyond that. He's giving that example, but obviously we can give the example in everything in which we think, eh, why would God care if I, you know, put on my hat to David Mincha or not? Eh, right? We're talking about a Jew that Rebbe says who finds himself in a situation that what? Like, like everybody knows. He wants, he wants to drink a glass of milk. He has tro- new tro- fresh chocolate chip cookies that came out of the oven. And a little bit of milk with the coffee would just do it. <laughs> He's looking at the clock. <laughs> and he sees, <laughs> It only passed five and a half hours. <laughs> For when he ate lunch. For when he ate his meat sandwich. <laughs> so now, <coughs> he's not going to drink. He has to wait another half an hour. Why does he have to wait another half an hour? This is what God wants. So now Amalek says, So now Amalek, that little voice of Amalek, insidious voice of Amalek, that we have built into our system, that asks the question, do you really think that God is really cares about? If you're going to drink your cup of milk, a half an hour earlier, a half an hour later, God really, really, gives, uh, really, really, really cares about that. <laughs> Other than you drinking your milk, God has nothing better what to do. That He's busy looking at you with your milk or not. That He says it's ridiculous. Think about it, he says. On the one hand, we're talking about the king of all kings. God who took you out of Egypt. You yourself say that God created the world and he didn't get tired. And without any exertion, God created his world. Everything was created just by him just uttering an utterance. And even though he took ten utterances to create the world, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Yavis, he could have done it with one utterance. And on the other hand, we're talking about a little child, who ate meat, he had a hamburger. Now he wants to drink milk. And now only five and a half hours passed. And we say to him, Da, you should know that the King of all kings, God Almighty Himself, casts aside all of His business, 
all the upper realms and all the lower worlds and all of existence, as I stated in Tanya, that that's what God does, and he's standing and looking at this little child. If the child will obey God's rules and wait out the six hours, or he'll cut corners and do five hours and 45 minutes is also good. Right? That God really inspects the kidneys and the heart. If God is, if, you, if the person is going to drink the milk after five and a half hours, if you're not going to wait the other half an hour. So, the, so are, is Hashem really doing that? Amalek asks the question, this is your opinion about God? This is called a great God. And he brings all kinds of verses. How great Amalek is, is, is a scholar beyond scholars. He knows how to quote the entire Tanakh. How great is your actions, God. How, how many is your deeds, God. You're so, God is so infinite and transcendental and so of this that, he, that these... Uh, a small little nothing in this world which is, is, what, is what's giving him aggravation or satisfying him? What are you, crazy? And that's really the idea. Malik says, God is not in the little things. He's not inside of you. Am I and is God really there? Is he not? So the Rebbe says like this. Amalek's arguments are not coming really because of, theo, because of a theological idea. Ah, uh, no. no. He's not saying that. Amalek's argument of, of Hashem, of our, is Hashem amongst us, is not because he's, he's minimizing God. Chas v'shalom. Not because he's dismissing God. Hey, God is nobody. Who cares what God says? No, no, no. The contrary. Because of God's greatness. It's explained in Chasidus. Another argument of Amalek. Similar idea, but another. The Friedrich Rebbe, I think, explains this in a mimer, or maybe the Rebbe Hashab even. Because of the greatness of because of the greatness of God, this is one of Amalek's favorite arguments. What are you getting excited that a big miracle happened? For an, for God, is that a big deal? So when you're excited and you move to change your entire life because a big miracle happened to you, you were just saved from. Uh, a life-threatening situation, something, whatever. And you literally witnessed God firsthand, and you're willing to make a change in your life. And Amalek says, Ugh, "What are you crazy? It's no big deal for Hashem. It's nothing for God. He didn't. He didn't go out of his way to save you. He, eh, he blinked. He did whatever. He flinched something. So you do also something back, tiny, but you don't have to change your life because of that. What are you getting all excited? What are you getting all that?" Hashem is so great. And if you think, if you get excited, it's because you don't, you don't have no idea what God is. You think this is a big deal. What does this compare to Hashem? God creates the, the, the natural order. He can switch them whenever he wants. And here, Amalek becomes even, even greater. Not only does he use Psukim, he even uses the Balshemtov. He will, even, he will even bring you Balshemtov teachings when he needs to. Since every minute God is creating the world, it's not even a miracle because he's creating, before he created it like this and now he's creating it like that. 
So it's not even like he's changed anything for you, like because he's sustaining it every second. Ain't saying you shall mess clouds, not even a miracle. First, God created the Yamsuf as whole, not, not, not broken in half. And now, in the next moment, there needs to be a new creation. So now God is creating two, two, two waters with, a, with, with, with space in the middle. It's two different Yamsufs now. Okay, so it's a new creation. And now God is creating it split. So it's not even that he's changing something and he's mastering over something. So how do you know where this is coming from? Maybe it's coming from a holy place. Maybe it is, uh, what's it called again, trying to make you truly aware of God's greatness. The question is, what's the bottom line? What is, what is it leading to? What is, his, what, is the, what is the conclusion? Before, I was ready to go and start learning Torah. I was willing to make a commitment to start doing mitzvahs. I was willing to make a serious change in my life, to make my life more godly, more in sync with what Hashem wants. That's because I got very excited about what Hashem has done for me. Now this thought is saying that, well, eh, God is so powerful, so great, so, so what's, what, what are you arguing? Don't get excited. Remain the same, the same person you were before. Okay. So He doesn't want you to change. He doesn't want you to do anything. So where's that coming from? That's not Yetzir Tov, that's Yetzir Har. What's the bottom line? The maskana of Amalek, what's his conclusion? Don't get excited about God. Now it's interesting, Amalek doesn't say don't get excited. He wants you to get excited about sports, about Super Bowl. He wants you to get excited about the new restaurant that opened up around the corner. He wants you to get excited about a cruise. He wants you to get excited about all his stuff. Yeah, that's not too small. These are very, very important things to get very excited about. To talk about the menu in the restaurant, what they're serving, and really get so excited, overworked, because it's awesome. That, yeah, that's, that, that's something to be excited. But if you get excited about God, you're minimizing God. Yeah. The Eibishter gave you a nature to get excited. Akoch. God gave us ambition, fire, and so forth. You should take that kishmak, that fire, that fervor, that excitement, and passion, and only use it for things that are self, self-benefiting. And things that are very physical, that you can, tangible, things you can touch them. To deepen your mind. To understand them. Matters that are connected to God. These are the three things that are, on this you have three things that you're like an angel. Yeah, yeah. A few hours a day you devote to God. You don't, shouldn't get excited during that time. That's, you got to do it because you got to give God something also, but without the fire because what are you getting excited about spiritual matters? What are you going to get so excited because how great are your deeds, God? How, how, how great and how, how many are you? When, we, when at the very same, when, when we all understand that Hashem, it's not even a lot, it's not even a big deal, the Gemara, the Gemara says, because again, Amalek, he's a huge scholar. He'll bring, like we know, Esav knew how to learn. So what will he bring you? 
He'll even bring you what Chazal say, that God's greatness is really His humility. So it's not a big deal that He's great. And he, He's humble, He lowered Himself down. In the place of His greatness you find His humility. For God, the fact that He created so many creatures and so many things, it's actually a descent for Him. Ah, so that so Amalek says it's 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 in what? <laughs> Calm down. The Afapikain, nevertheless, we say to a Jew, Lotzeis be his spilos to go out to go to get to, to to get over to get out. I'm sorry to 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 emerge with a with an excitement. And to begin to sing and dance, the Adlis Aleph, to the point that you faint from realizing God's greatness. And to reach by Shemayna Esrei after you davened already and you thought you spoke about God's greatness, you should reach a point that you're like a servant in front of your Creator. You have no existence at all in front of God. You're permeated so much, your excitement has brought you to such a deep place that you're already beyond excitement. So how do you answer Amalek? The idea is The answer with Amalek is never ever to start the debate. When you have such thoughts you don't you don't you don't um, discuss it. You know why? Now, now the Rebbe says like this You really could give him an answer intellectually as well. You can explain logically why you're getting excited about God and why you have to wait the extra half an hour. The Rebbe says you could explain it, but it's not going to affect him. Since the reason why he's asking his questions, you see, the reason why Amalek came up in the first place and started started challenging your, your, your commitment to God is not because he has a theological issue. It's not like he's, he's so perturbed with the, with the concept that, that you're making God small. What really is bothering him is he wants to live a good time. He doesn't want to wait that extra half an hour. He wants to be excited only about material things. So he needs an excuse. So he gives you all these arguments like this, he's going to be able to get away scot-free and not have to care much about spirituality and be able, and even when he sees miracles, not having to have to respond to them. That's what Amalek wants. And therefore, since his problem is not his flawed thinking, you're not going to fix the problem by straightening out his mind. His problem is he just doesn't want to. So therefore, you gotta fight him with, with, the, with, with the very same method that he's, that he's. El as he says, he does not want to accept the yoke of heaven. But he's looking for justification. He doesn't want to tell you that the, the Amalek inside a person, that means our own laziness, Yitzhahara, whatever it is, doesn't want to say that it's just plain uh, in the mood. Because that he feels uncomfortable saying that. Because I'm a rational person. I, 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 I like to see myself as a as, a, as someone that's following, doing, living a life that's, 
correct and just. I don't want to just. He comes up with a rational excuse so he can rationalize it, as we say. And therefore, instead of bringing arguments from somewhere else, he asks the question from within it itself. Are you going to tell me that this great God is really invested in these small little minutiae? If, to know if you're waiting between meat and milk, six hours or five and a half hours. And the same is also regarding small things. Sometimes there's matters of rabbinic matters. Does God really care? This is just a small little rabbinic thing. It's not even biblical. Or how about when it comes to minhag, a custom? Say, God really cares about the customs? How come he didn't write it in the Torah? To do things the way a minhag is, the way we've... Which is also Torah. The Rebbe says, there's no space and there's no reason to go into a debate. To argue him with him reason with reason. We turn over to page 280. Because this is what's disturbing. Because what that which is disturbing and that which is, that, that's what, and what is poking him. is not the concept. His seichel, his mind, is only to justify his desire. Just like bribery. What does bribery do? It, it blinds the mind. Even someone that the Torah refers to him as a wise man. When he takes bribery, makes him blind. So that's if I give. So you're seeing that what? That the mind is able to be. So the same is also when a person himself has a desire for something, he can convolute his own mind and come up with the, with, with the most um, really crooked arguments, but he sees them as correct because that's what he wants. That's the idea that a person is subjective and they can mess their own mind. If one nickel can cause a person's mind to go astray, if I give you a nickel to see something my way, you'll actually start seeing it that way because I paid you for it. How much more so that a person can bribe himself? The fact that I want to eat the milk, I want that milk, that, that I want to drink that milk now, not wait another half an hour. I can give myself. It will start creating in my mind all kinds of arguments that will look logical, because it, but they're really subjective. If he's really rich or poor. Or if you say something, if you bribe someone by giving him compliments. Like the Gemara says. When a person has a desire in some outcome, so he will not see things straight. It will blind the eyes of the wise. And therefore, the memhei tanosoy shel yehudihi. What's the argument of the Jew? Loy mitzad inyan shel tam v'das. A Jew does not respond rationally and logically. Ella mitzad inyan hagoyral. How do you respond to Amalek? You respond from the lottery inside of you. We said before that goyral is gematria Amalek, because the antithesis to Amalek 
is to find within you the super-logical connect, connection that you have with God. In other, in other words, you have to tell Amalek that you're a fanatic. That's what you need to do. That's the only way you'll overcome it. And we'll explain well, how did that work. Yaakov is the rope of his inheritance. So what does that mean? Since this is an idea of a goral, a lottery, there's a pasuk that says, where is this pasuk? Um, in Mishle, in Proverbs. Uma, I don't know what it means, Becheik. The goral is taken, Becheik usually means like the person's bosom. Whatever. And from Hashem is his mishpat. The, the idea of, 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 of goral, or what he's trying to bring out over here, is that there are certain things that are, they just are and they don't need an explanation. It's, what the, it's, it's like a lottery. You can't, you can't mix any, re, any rhyme and reason into, into a lottery. You can't come with, a re, with, with an argument why this guy won the lottery. Why the numbers are so. He, he had the winning numbers. Is there any explanation? There's no explanation. You say, well, it's not fear. I worked so much harder. He just went around the corner to get the lotto. I traveled 30 miles to the closest lottery place, and I worked on I should win it. And I, whatever. Let's make a difference. This is it. This is it. There's no, there's no reason at all. Why this guy won, whatever. Or in another way. And even when the mind does agree, that the right person won it. You know, sometimes they have a lottery. Some person is going to win a trip to New York. One person is going to win the 10,000. Let's not talk about the big lotteries, but let's talk about, you know, all people putting it together in a, in a Chinese auction, the, 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 the pot. You know, $10,000 is being win, cash. So sometimes it's like, oh, come on. It's always the wealthy person who won it. Like, they don't even need the money because they were able to put in 600 tickets, so they're able to they win it. Okay. But uh, sometimes it is, ah, you see. You feel, you feel, oh, it makes sense, good. That person won it, they deserve to win it. You feel really good. So, you agree that they won. But it doesn't make a difference. Your seichel agrees, seichel doesn't agree. The winner is the winner. When it comes to a lottery, it's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with any kind of virtue. Whether the mind agrees, whether the mind doesn't agree, it's, it's not Nagea. Nagea is one thing. This is the way the, this is the, way the, lot was, the, the, the lottery was cast and finished. You don't do it because the mind agrees. This is the way the lottery came out. And this is a Jew's answer. This is very important. A Jew says, I am not called Jewish. It's not because I'm wise. Or even because I'm righteous. What makes me a Jew is the idea of a lottery. I was born a Jew, that's my luck. My lottery fell out that I'm a Jew. Ben Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I'm a son of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It has nothing to do with my virtue. It has nothing to do with a choice that I made. 
It has nothing to do with anything about anything. <coughs> no one can explain it. The fact that you're Jewish has nothing to do with your work, nothing to do with anything that you've, that you've toiled. There could be millions, billions of other people that would have been more deserving and maybe they would have been harder working Jews than you are. And they were not born Jewish and you are born Jewish. And therefore, from you, God, from me, God is sitting and waiting an extra half an hour, whether I'm going to sit and eat it or not. And, it's, and, and, and for everybody else, He couldn't kill us. And it's absolutely insane how, he, how, he's, how he's like a completely, like a, what did you say, like an like a overbearing mother regarding every crazy thing. Oh, you're going out with your shirt is, on, is, not, is, not, is, not, is not ironed, or you're not this. Or you're, every little detail of detail drives God's crazy. If we keep it or we don't. And that's the truth. And it's insane. Yes, it's, it's, it's insane. And Hashem infinitely cares if I will do the mitzvah perfectly with the minhag. Like we spoke on Monday about the tachash. The aesthetics of it. It's not a matter of... It's not a matter of understanding. It's not something that you can understand that has a, that has a rule whether you, if you didn't toil, uh, right, you, 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 if you didn't toil and you, and you figured it out, and you found out time and don't believe. When you will toil a little bit, you'll know a little bit. When you'll toil more, you'll know more. He's saying when it comes to matters of intellect, when it comes to matters of emotions, when it comes to thought, speech, and actions, all these things have a human touch. All of them have, you know, something to do with you. The only thing that has nothing to do with you, the fact that you're born a Jew. It has nothing to do with any, anything you've done. It has nothing to do with you at all. They never asked you if you want to be a Jew. You don't have any, you have zero um, um, opinion in this. There's nothing you can do to undo yourself. And no one ever asked you this. There's nothing to do. This is something totally beyond you. Hametzias hui. The existent, the reality is that you are a child of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to these people, God says, "You will be my treasure." And God adds in Pashas Yisro, "I have the whole world." What does that mean? Hashem says, you're my treasure, but I have the whole world. It's, 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 it's opposite. The fact that the whole world is mine is not a reason of the Yisam Li Segula. Quite on the contrary, if the, if the God is the whole world, why separate the Jews? Why make them special? Everything belongs to Him. 
Don't think that he had no choice. We were the only ones around. I don't have anybody else. I have a planet, I have a world with 8 billion people. The Ebershter says, in the details of their life, in the, in the minute, and of course Hashem wants all of the world to behave in the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, but to the Jewish people, it's the 613 that God cares about every little detail and sub-detail, and it's completely, why? It's a choice beyond reason. There is no explanation. It's a matter of a segula, which is it's not a matter of, of, of reasoning. And like the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says even regarding, for example, individual mitzvahs, every neshama has one or two, uh, one specific mitzvah that that's related to your neshama more than any other mitzvah. And you can't explain rationally why that is. And usually it's the one that comes on very difficult. That's the one that relates to you most. Everybody has a mitzvah that we're supposed to shine in that mitzvah more than others. It's not something that you can understand. It's not based on reason. The Gemosay Lamata, the Alter Rebbe says, and what we what, what is what is what it's compared to, who pchenas hagoyrol mamish is the concept of a goral. A goral is not nothing to do with reason. So it is. God cast lots. Who's going to be a Jew? Zewuzeh. Uba oifin kezehu inyan ayoyse Yehudi. The fact that you're a Jew. You had no portion in it. It had nothing to do with your work. God did it. You should thank the Abish that he didn't make you a non-Jew. And when a Yid really gets this, says to this your arguments are very good arguments. But listen to me, this is what the Rebbe says, this is what the Jew tells the Yitzhahara. I am such an existence. To me, it fell in my lot. My lottery worked out. That I have God and God has me. That's what happened. I won this lottery. If you want to talk to all the other billion people in the planet, you can go talk to them. I'm the winner in this lottery that the Abishter chose me, and I have him, and he has, he has me, and I have him. Meaning to say, in the deepest oneness that's possible. Isn't this crazy? And everything else doesn't matter, not to me, meaning to me, anything but God doesn't matter at all. Once I won the lottery, that he is mine, then anything but him is absolutely meaning to, meaningless to him, to me, to, to us, and to him the same thing. Once we've, his lottery fell upon us, everything else to him is meaningless. He has one obsession, and that is the Jewish people. 
the Kivan Shekane. So, yesterday I was watching Shifra Hannah Hendry did a uh, interview with uh, Tuvia, Tuvia Singer. It's a very interesting interview. So um, he's talking about Mashiach already in the world and so on. It's fascinating. But one of the things that he mentioned right in the beginning was that regarding the Jewish people, he says, go to, a, go to any country, any city in the world, any city, Manchester, England, uh, Melbourne, Australia, Memphis, wherever, go any street, stand there and ask people their opinion about Jews. What do you think about Jews? In Asia, in Africa, anywhere. But there's only one condition. You're not looking for a politically correct answer. No one is going to know what they say. You just want to hear, tell me the truth, what you think about Jews. You're going to get opinions. Across the entire world, you're going to get opinions. Some people will say they admire the Jews like crazy, and some will just say the most horrible things. Do the exact same survey on the Chinese. What do you think about Chinese people? You like them? Maybe a little. I don't know. I like Chinese food. I like it. China. He says, well, understand something. The Chinese are a third of the world population. So there's unbelievably more Chinese than Jews. And most people in the world didn't form an opinion whether they like Chinese or they don't like Chinese. Everybody has an opinion regarding the Jews. You either love them or you hate them. There's no one who's like, I don't know. They don't care about the Jews. I don't really know. It's not this. People will sometimes be polite. They're not going to tell you their opinion about Jews. But if, they'll, if you're going to get people to give you the truth, they will be very opinionated. Everybody has an opinion about the Jewish people. That's just who we are. Why? Because what it says right over here. There is a lottery that was made. We have God and God has the Jewish people. And basically he says, because she was asking the question, how come you have, on the one hand, you have so many people today turning in support of Israel in the biggest way possible. And then you have, on the other hand, Israel hatred like there's never been before. Even here in America. It's basically, the, everything is splitting right down the middle. So what's, what's causing this? And his answer is, I like the way he explained it. Those who, and Rashi says it already. He's just saying what Rashi says, but those who love the Jews is because they love the God of Israel. And those who hate the Jews is because they hate the God of Israel. And it goes back to Avram Avinu. Hashem says, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. But everybody will have an opinion. Either they will bless you or they will curse you. But we're such a people. It doesn't say that about any other nation. What do you think about the Norwegians? 
<laughs> yeah, no, I don't care. The Swedes. You're like, yeah. Some people have opinions about all kinds of people, but not everybody. Jews, everybody has an opinion about. And we're, 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 we're so few. But this is the Jews' answer to his Yitzhahara. That what? I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. And since so, it shouldn't be a Chiddush, the Rebbe says. That God sits in his place. And he casts away the upper and the lower. And God is looking as if he has nothing else to do, but he gazes and steers down to see if the Jew is going to wait. Between six hours between his meat and his milk. And on Shabbos, God is looking, how are you going to conduct yourself when you're ready to walk out from your private house into the public domain? When you're going out even to a Carmelist, which is a different type of a domain, it's not considered really a public domain. If you're going to check your pocket to see if you're carrying something, and you're going to take it all out, you're going to leave it in your house, so you shouldn't carry your, your kerchief out, and afterwards you're going to cross the threshold of your house to walk onto the sidewalk. Yes, God is waiting and looking and steering and seeing if you're doing that. And in this, the Eibishter is completely invested, and the Eibishter is completely zooming in in this thing. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna check your pockets before you walk out or not? Are you going to? Are you going to uh, wait the extra fifteen minutes before you bite into that uh, cheese Danish because you're, because of your thing? And that's there's nothing else on God. And and, and can I can I explain that rationally? There's no logic. And there's no rationale. It's an Indian of Purim. It's an Indian of Goyrel. It's an Indian that transcends logic completely. And that's the only way you can overcome Amalek with his sophisticated questions. Because he too is not interested in sophistication. He's just not interested. So you gotta, you gotta get to the root problem. You gotta come with the fiery craziness of your being. And, and, and this deserves to be crazy. When to think about how majestically big and infinite the universe is. And to think that the God who created all of that has an invested interest in you in a way that super transcends any kind of logic to the point that the entire Eibishter is consumed with your behavior, how you're going to behave, whether you're going to fulfill his mitzvahs or not. And only on a few million people. That's it. In his entire universe. That is crazy. And that puts a lot of pressure on getting it right, I think. But also a lot of joy on this amazing relationship that we have. But this all, <laughs> all of this was part of the question. If Goyerol is so strongly, we're holding by, by Sif Mem Vav, page 281. If Goyerol is so essential to Amalek, because how, what, did he, what did he bring out over here? That Goyerol is Gematria 240. Amalek's whole power is to, is to take Hashem out of our lives by saying, eh, God doesn't care. God is above there. He wouldn't care about your, your half an hour uh, waiting an extra 15 minutes to eat the flesh. 
Because Hashem is not here. Hashem is so great. Hashem is so vast. And that's why Goyrol and the answer, the antidote Amalek is also something that's beyond reason. Yeah, Hashem cares about me because we're his lot. He cast lots. And the Jewish people fell to his lot. We say, This is our lot. How pleasant it is to have one, have, 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 have lucked out in the lottery. But if this is the case, then Purim should be called Goyrol. Why? Why is Purim called Purim? This makes the question even stronger. The name of Purim, it's called Hashem Apur, not under the Goyrol. In addition to this, that we can say, when you can, when you have a choice to name something with the name of Lashin Lashin Hakodesh, Lashin Belashin Shiva Umais, and then or to name something with the name of seventy nations. You need to, you should, you should use a Hebrew tongue, or all the holy tongue. But specifically, the yomtiv is deeply connected to the goyrol. What was the the way they nullified Haman's decree in a manner that for the Jewish people there should be light and joy and, and happiness and, and and splendor? The way we came about and destroy, uh, nullifying the decree also came, we acted in a goral manner. As it's explained in Hasidus, that the Jewish people stood in a, in, a, in a manner of mesiras nefesh, in a completely irrational commitment to God an entire year. The Jewish people at that time, in the days of Mordechai, didn't respond to Haman's decree by sophisticated Judaism. They just became fiery Jews. They were not going to give up themselves as Jews. They woke up their pintaliyid. Then we should emphasize it in the name of the Yontif. We should call it Goyrol. The Yaseirim is that, to make the question even stronger. <laughs> that I was building this question already. It is known what it says in Tikune Zohar. That Purim and Yom Kippur are both the same. And on the, op- on the contrary, That Yom Kippurim, as it says, is because it's called Kippurim like Purim. In Yom Kippur, we don't find any poor. There's no Persia over there that they should make a, a lottery, a Persian lottery. There is a Goyrol. Yeah, that's why Yom Kippur, they, they cast lots and one, one, one sheep went, one goat went uh, to Hashem, the other goat, goat got thrown and went to Azazel, went down the cliff. One goat goes to God. The goat that the Kohen Gadol offered in the, in the temple, the Hichnes is Dama, the Kodesh HaKadosh, and he brought its blood into the Holy of Holies. The goat and one goat went the other way. The goat that was sent Gavoa, a very intense and, and, and strong cliff mountain. In the hands of this prepared person who took it to the desert. That even though it's, it's considered a shchita, in the midbar. They must explain that Yom Kippur, the Iker Inyan, is only the one Goro, the one that goes Lashem. The other one that goes to the Midbar, 
is 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 not is is outside of the base Amigdash. It's outside of the it's not a place of the Jew. The, 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 this one person, Ish Iti Ahmed Bara, took it there. So therefore you don't have this Indian of Pur. On Purim you have both. You have Purim's you have you have Haman's lottery and then the way it was turned over. But Yom Kippur is a day of pure holiness. Yeah, you need to get rid of that, so you throw it away. But your space, where is the Jew? In a place of holiness only. So you're only in the place of Goyrol, you're not in the place of Pur. Even if your opportunity or your possibility to, to name the Yom Tev, <coughs> um, Purim or Goyrol would have been equal even-handed, you should have called it Goyrol, in order to emphasize its shaykhist. To Yom Kippur, but I don't understand this. If you would call it Goyrol, then Yom Kippur would not be Kippurim. <laughs> because Yom Kippurim is only, is only like Purim because, it's, because Purim is called Purim. So when you say Yom Kippurim, it's like Kippurim. But if Purim would be called Goyrol, then you're, and Yom Kippur would still be Yom Kippur, a day of atonement, then you would never make the link between Yom Kippur and, and, and the day of Goyrol. But that means that since the concept of Goyrol is only there in, 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 in Yom Kippur, there's an Indian of Goyrol, so, and if it's Peshava, so Purim should have been called Goyrol also. Yeah. So this will all, so it's interesting, he, he spends pages and pages and pages developing the question, and the answer, he does just in a page and a half. Very short. So this will be understood by first prefacing what is explained elsewhere. Regarding the novelty of Purim regarding over Yom Kippur. Both of them you had during the time the Beis Amigdash was standing. I guess during the time of the second... Purim didn't happen during the time of the of the, of the Beis Hamikdash, <coughs> but they 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 observed it during the time of the Second Temple, because Purim happened between the First Temple and the Second Temple. So the entire Second Temple period they had Purim, and they also had it in the time of exile. Both of them, Yom Kippur and Purim. Yom Kippur, so what's the difference? Yom Kippur is the day that is the most spiritual from all the days of the year. Because during the year you have what? Mundane days. Then you have days that are called callings of holiness. They're not holy, they're callings of holiness. Then you have Shabbos, which itself is holy. The day itself is holy. And Yom Kippur is the holiest time. And that's why Yom Kippur is called Shabbos Shabbos, which is equivalent to Kodesh HaKadoshim, holy of holies. And a Jew is then in the most exalted state. Your entire physical existence dissolves. You're like an angel. You're forbidden to eat and to drink. So you're, you're disconnect from all physicality. All the things that we said earlier, that, an, that a human being is compared to an animal, cease to exist. Because we, it says we eat and we drink and we uh, procreate like an animal. But in Yom Kippur, all these things are forbidden. So you, you disconnect from that whole animalistic state. Your entire other existence is that you're compared to an angel. 
So we know there are many things that we do in Yom Kippur. For example, we say Baruch Shem loud because we're not afraid of the Malachim because we'll, 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 we look like angels. Or we're dressed in white and things like that. So in Purim, the Chiddush is that those very same things that you do on Yom Kippur through fasting, Chamisha Inuyim, through five inflictions, in the manner of detachment from the physical world. On Purim, you can't accomplish these things without the physical, because you didn't fulfill your mitzvah of Purim unless you eat a meal, a festive meal. And you didn't fulfill your mitzvah of Purim unless you have a drink. And very much material. Eating and drinking. And a manner is that it will take you to a place of loyada, that you you drank so much that you don't even have a head anymore. You're intoxicated. Even more. The novelty of Purim is the whole experience of Purim happened when, even though we said earlier that it also applied during the time of the Beis Amigdash, but when was Purim born? It was born in a period that the Jewish people were still under a foreign, a foreign power. We were, we were, we were, the servants of Achashverosh. Kolaymar, what does that mean? on Purim On Purim, we see how powerful a Jew is. Not when he is elevated and he's in a different plane. He's compared to an angel. But a malach ain't goy shum shlita. No, on a malach, a goy has no 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 dominion over. So when Jews are compared to malachim, you know the 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 the, 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 the Gentiles have no power over them. Oh, so yeah, Elob, the, the chiddush over here is that when a Jew is very much vested in the material, and he himself is in a material state, he's in a situation where he is he or she is in a state. When we're still servants of Achashverosh. Not in a manner that we stand up against Achashverosh and we're, 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 we're rebelling against him. We cast the rebellion, we cast the coup, we're whatever, we're, 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 we're doing a revolution. No. You're, you're not rebelling. You've, you're, you've accepted the, the state, the status, that you're a servant to Achashverosh. Why? Like it says by Mordechai that he was sent into exile, and he wasn't fighting the exile, <coughs> with the, 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 those that were exiled, with Yechonia, whatever, you're, you're, you're under the, the authority, and the dominion, and the kingship of Achashverosh. Who even after the miracle, that, that Achashverosh gave Haman's house to Mordechai, Achashverosh still claims authority over the Jewish people. My throne, I'm greater than yours, even though it doesn't say that in the Megillah, but the fact that he made Mordechai only Mishnah Lamelech, second to the king, is a sign that he feels that he's still ruling over you. Now, even though that passed, and we, a little while later we entered into the period of the second Beis Amigdash, what? Now the second base of English never replaced the first base of English because it was lacking five things. 
So, Tzoyakim B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people still argue, Avdei Achashverosh Anan, we're still servants of Achashverosh. In other we can still feel Persian influence. Yeah, because Persia gave permission to them to build the base of Israel. They still have to pay taxes to Persia. So you still, we have, we're not in the most desirable state. So a Jew is very weak, that's the point. You're dealing in a time not of Jewish supremacy. We're dealing in a time when Jews are in exile, we're in a weak state. Ah, but that's the whole part, that's the Chiddush of Purim. The Afal nevertheless, Oymrim Yehudi, we say to a Jew, don't be afraid of anybody. The Torah says, Omnam The Torah says that you're servants of Achashverosh. That's why there are certain things that you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to go up on the wall on your own to fight the nations, to take back Eretz Yisrael. Which is the root of the Satmar Rebbe's argument that why the Zionist government is, 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 is a violation because it's, they went up against. The other argument is we didn't go fight. On the contrary, the nations in the world gave it to us. So there wasn't a, a rebellion. And once we're there already, if they came to fight with us, we were allowed to defend it. It's a different story. Anyways, I'm not going to get into the argument. But I'll upon him, the idea is that during the time of exile, what? There are restrictions. There is the general idea that God instructs the Jewish people that when you're going to be visitors amongst other nations, seek out the well-being of, the, of, of, the, of your host. And daven for her. As explained in many laws in Shulchan Aruch. So a Jew has to accept upon himself certain submission to the exile, to the country that they're in. When is this? When is all these above matters mentioned? When the when the when the when the when the nation that you're that you're that, that is uh, that you're uh, that you're in their uh, in their um, domain is not is not in any way contradicting matters of Judaism. If they if they want to restrict you when it comes to Yiddishkeit, to Jewish observance, you have absolutely no obligation to listen to them. Nothing. A Jew has, the, 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 the nations of the world have no power over us, whatsoever. As long as you're dealing with, with fair taxes, no, you're obligated to pay the taxes. You're obligated to, to be a, a good American citizen. It's as long as the nation is not poking its nose and trying to stop you from having circumcisions the way it is according to Torah. If New York law were to create a law that you're not allowed to do a circumcision according to the Torah, Jews don't have to listen to it. You're not obligated at all. There's no. You do what you want. You do what a Jew is supposed to do. The Medrash says, The three martyrs, Hananya, Mishal, and Azariah, said to Nebuchadnezzar, if you're taxing us, at melech you're a king. But if you want to force us to serve an idol, at the kalba shavin, you and the dog are equal. This is what they said to the king. They weren't afraid to say it. And this is what a Jew is supposed to say to all the nation in the world. You, are a, you and a dog are equal. I couldn't kill less what you say. You have zero power over me when it comes to my obligations towards Hashem. 
They said it at the very time It wasn't like they were saying it at a time when, you know, they're in Eretz Yisrael, then Yerushalayim, and like David is, you know, is dealing with Goliath. They're, they're, they're saying it when they are obligated to behave like, to seek out the well of the, of the, of the, of the, of the city that they're in. And to daven for the country. They actually did that. In the beginning of their work, of their words. In the days of Purim it was so. In the days of Purim it wasn't only by these three tzaddikim. Well, when that, that in all Jews, that are in all the countries of the king, in the entire, ruled the world. The Jews were all over. Everybody stood up and said, no one is going to tell us how to be Jewish and how to connect to our God. This is what we say to a Jew. Don't think that you can only have an effect in, you know, just in your small little boundaries. Don't think that you can only defend yourself, that your Yiddishkeit should not be, should not be um, impacted. You can use out, you can, you can, you can take your position as a servant of Yisrael, And make this too a yomtiv for the Jewish people. You can make a Purim out of it. To the point that even Gentiles know. That the days of Purim is a yomtiv that the Jewish people celebrate. On the nullification of Haman's decree. You're calling it Purim mainly for the Gentiles to know. You want the Persians to know that what? That we have a yomtiv. And what's that yomtiv? That yomtiv is a yomtiv that because people messed with, with, with the Jewish people, in the end it became our holiday in which we celebrate proudly our Jewishness. So much so that the grandchildren of Haman learned Torah in B'nai Barak. That we took even Haman and flipped them over. That's how v'nahapachu the situation was. Who won? The Jewish people won. If grandchildren of Haman are learning Torah in our yeshivas. We're moving, it's understood. kunz. It's not stam all, hey, take a look, we're really cool, we Jews. We can do really cool things. The Torah is not here to just show kunzen, to show tricks. That's the avoid, that's the whole purpose. That even the matters of Haman should be converted to holiness. Because even Haman is menatoira. There's no such a thing as, in essence, that since God is the root of everything, there's no such a thing as a klippa that really is not shayach. Everything has to be flipped over because everything ultimately comes from God. We'll skip for a minute over here. We have to convert it. But Haman is also menatora. Now we go back to the parentheses. There isn't a thing that's not menatora. Iladugma. The Rebbe says it's to say that you can only that the Sanhedrin, the great Jewish court, you can only ask them Torah questions. 
a pirush in a Mishnah, a Pasuk in Torah, that you can't ask the Sanhedrin matters of medicine. A Jew's entire existence is connected to what? To Torah. And therefore you have to ask the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, it's Tavu, the Sanhedrin themselves are told that what? That regarding medicine, they should consult with experts in the field of medicine. And then the Sanhedrin paskins. If you're allowed to eat Yom Kippur, if you're allowed to whatever, you know, if you're allowed to, you know, uh, change a certain law to accommodate for a sick person situation. It's possible that the Sanhedrin will give you a psak to do like the doctor says. And it's possible that the psak then is going to be to ask the doctor. Not that the Sanhedrin should ask. You can, you can have anybody asking. The reason you're doing it is because the Torah says that the doctor should heal. The Torah gave permission to a doctor to heal. The idea that Rebbe is trying to bring out is that everything is holiness. Because really one can ask the question, how can a doctor come and heal? God brings an illness. And a human being comes and he mixes his nose into it. God made this person sick, what are you doing? He gives him a metaphor. He says it's a king that got angry at a servant. And he puts him into a prison. And he, and, he, and he commanded that they don't feed this guy. And a person comes. And he feeds him. So he says that guy is is a, is, is 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 a the guy is 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 a, broke the law on the highest level. God won't, the, 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 the king won't get angry at him. Bit me. So he asked him, "How can a doctor heal?" That's why you need specific granted permission. The Torah gives the doctor permission to uh, to heal. There's two explanations. That he's permitted. They actually give him power. Which just means they give him power to heal. But I'll upon him, everything comes from the Torah. So if you're not feeling well, go ask the rabbi. Let the rabbi send you to the doctor. If you're, uh, you have a problem in, in your business, ask the rabbi. Let the rabbi send you to the, to the lawyer. Every issue, a Jew listens to the Torah. What does the Torah say? Oh, Torah. But I'll copon him. So let's go back in here. This was all parentheses. That was parenthetical. The Yomtev is called Purim al Shema Pur al Shema Goyro. Based on the poor, not on the Goyro. In Yonah Shal Purimu Shegam Goyroya. The point over here is we're using Dafka Persian name. What do we want that even a non Jew can see? Shaba Oisha Sha Atzmoy Shayhudi Bamaima the Matzah Shal Avda Achashverish. 
the entire world needs to know that even when it is a situation, it's not like after Mashiach came, it's still before Mashiach came. Jews are in the United States of America. We are Avdei Achashverosh, we have certain restrictions. The Jew is still connected to God with this lottery. In other words, what did we say earlier? The Jew is a goyrol, he's God's lottery. He's bonded with, with Hashem with an inseparable thing. So it could be that once the, once, once Golas started, eh, it got weaker, you see, because God doesn't care about them so much because he cast them into the Golas, so he's distant at least. Removed, not, they don't have, no. When we call it Purim, it means just that it's just that it's just saying the Indian of Goyrol, but saying it to the whole world that they should understand it. That and that even in this time, when we when we speak Persian, we don't speak Lashon Hakodesh, and that's our dominant language. The Jew is still the Manoyim Goyroleinu, and they still have that connection. And therefore, true that in Golos the Goy can tax the Jew and we have to pay taxes and we have to follow the laws of the land, that's as long as it's not interfering with any aspect of Judaism. The moment it starts interfering with Judaism, a Jew disregards what the, the law of the land is and he does what God wants and no one has power over him. <laughs> the guy doesn't have a connection to the holy tongue, Goyrol. We have to say to the non-Jew, Purim al Shemapur, that the, the days are called Purim al Shemapur. To the non-Jew, you don't have to say what Pur is. To the Jew, you have to say Pur hu That's why in the Megillah it says hu But when we name the name of the Yomtiv for the whole world to know what this Yomtiv is all about, we name it. We don't have to explain that it's goyro. Poor is enough. There is Haman's poor. And there is the Venahapachu, Shapal Yehudi Purim. That a Yid is able to take the very wicked poor of Haman and convert it. And therefore, even though there was a possibility to call the holiday goro, we call it poor. It's meant to be revealed for all the nations. Even to a Gentile who's not Shaykh Lelashon HaKodesh. It's, it's, it's not called in a holy name. When we're looking at the Goro, as it translates into the most physical state, now that we find ourselves in a state that we're still the servants of Achashverosh, we realize that this powerful Goro took on a new form now. It's now poor. But it's, it's still there, it's just camouflaged in, 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 in poor. The Afopiken, Kivan Shanisha Ba'ofen Shapur, since it's poor, Nasa Yomtev Eitzel B'nei Yisrael. It's a Yomtev. Shemo'oyer Etzlam Ha'inyan Ha'adaloyad. And what does this poor do to us? What happens on Purim? Purim, we're tapping the same Goyrol that we tap Yom Kippur. We tap it on Purim. But on Purim, we're tapping it while we're in the world, as part of the world, very material. 
And yet we tap this crazy bond with God. And that's why, what does it do to us when it becomes, when the Yom Tev of Purim comes, and no one even, no one even remembers that Purim means a Goral. So when Purim comes and it's just plain Purim, which means Persian lottery, what does it do? It evokes the supernatural bond between a Jew and God. And that's why, what does a Jew do on Purim? He reaches a point of Adeloyada, he transcends his mind, which is the idea of a lottery. Totally beyond reason. Completely beyond intellect and reason. It doesn't make a difference how rational this is. How this is according to, 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 to calculations. It's, ir, it's irrelevant if what kind of calculations you're going to make, whether you're supposed to keep a mitzvah or forego on a mitzvah. To start making a, 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 a business out of mitzvahs, where you can sell a small one for a big one. To start, to start uh, negotiating mitzvahs. To switch the, the small ones, say, yeah, we, we, let's give up on this so we can keep the bigger ones. So we should keep the bigger ones. No, 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 you don't do that. Like the sages say, do not sit and weigh mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are not given over to, 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 to negotiations and to calculations. This is not a business. This is that God Himself sanctified us with His mitzvahs and He commanded us. Whether the lightest of the lighter ones, on the minor of the minor, or on the major of the major. And they're all His mitzvahs and He sanctified us and we do them to the, with our very last breath. Elamai, what are you saying? It doesn't make any sense. God is not someone who doesn't want us to use our mind. God wants us to use our mind to the fullest that our mind can, can, can explore and probe. After you used your mind and you sophisticated and you understand everything, God says, I want you to drop your mind. The Abish says, doesn't make a difference what your mind tells me. Now we're holding by Adalayada, that's what Purim is. Now you're in the realm of lotteries. When it comes to a lottery, things don't have to make any sense. It's all coming from God. This is an unbreakable bond between a Jew and God. And let no other being ever miss, step in to, to God forbid, mix into this bond. No one has a right to mix into this bond. No stranger, no foreigner should ever come in, in between us. And don't even let the mind get in it. Let it be any type of calculation. Let it be any kind of reasoning. Keep that out. Over here it's a matter of an a, a infinite bond and an infinite commitment. That every small detail is infinitely important, and we will do it to the very to the very end. Exactly as the Abishta wants it, without any, without any uh, shortcuts. And when a yid does that, he affects the world. 
He can impact his, his portion in the world. And in the entire province. And the nations also know. They know that there was a wicked man, Haman, who decreed decrees against the Jewish people. And that was nullified. It was flipped over. And the dread of the Jewish people was cast upon the nations. And so much so that the nations themselves start helping the Jews out. Like Achashverosh gave everything that, that, that once belonged to Haman, he gives it to Mordechai. Like it stated in the Megillah. All of this happens in a way that it is stamped with the stamp of the king. The king of the world. The Rebbe says there's no free choice in this. Like we see today, the hearts of kings are in the hands of God. If it's signed like this above, that Mordechai Yehudi is the one who rules the, rules the, ruling the land, if it's signed up there that way, it's going to be signed down here by the president as well, down here. That's what's going to happen, because they have no choice. Once, once these things are happening, like we're seeing the last couple of years, things have been signed up there to, to turn around so that garnished health no Bernie, no Shmerni, so it's a garnished elephant. Even a Jew can't stop this, which is strange. And the days of Purim effect, that just like it was for the Jewish people, in those days, so will be in our days. So this is that first piece that the Rebbe talks about the idea that why it's called Purim. The concept is that the co- our, our lottery element is something we can tap and something that is, doesn't only exist when we are in a very lofty spiritual state and that's when we can fight Amalek. No. Even when we find ourselves compromised on many levels, amongst the nations, we still enjoy that same bond and it's a matter just of evoking that and us in our Judaism recognizing a stubborn, um, super rational commitment to Hashem, and then everything flips over around us. Anything that can get in the way of impeding Judaism becomes completely converted, and Jews actually become the masters of everybody that's around them, even while they have the restrictions of it's still Purim, it's not Goral. And yet, it's important that it's Purim, that, that, that it should be known in the world that. And the Jew shouldn't have any fear of, of, uh, of, of what, the, what the nation will think. Because they respect this, that's the thing. They respect this. They know it, they respect it. There was one more piece over here that was, that was much shorter. It's actually very, very funny. The Rebbe calls it a Purim Torah, but I need to get a little of the of the of the of the caffeine, that diet coke, to wake me up because I am so fresh looking. My eyes are closing. Uh, thank you. Yeah, but I'm sweating. 
That'll be awesome. Like the good old days, I used to drink Diet Coco is by, uh, by the Thursday night cheer, but I don't like doing it because I don't like to drink so much soda. But I need the, when you need it, when you need, when you need that, uh, thank you. Okay. This is, I, I skipped part of the Fabrengen. Samach Beis, on page 300. Kivish and Emtsoim Bapurim, since we are, <coughs> we find ourselves in Purim, we have to say a Purim digitayra. As I said many times, I'm a super oidis echod machsidim rishonim. It said about one of the chasidim, Bizman Kvoit Kedushis Moirachami Admor, in the days of my father in law. Shaamar, Sheba Purim, Yocholoimir, and Yonim, Kaila, Shakashal, Omnim, and Meshachashana. On Purim, you can say things that are difficult to say all year. Kim Yevoyu, Elo Bitainus. Because if they're going to come to him with complaints, how can you say so and so? He said it on Purim. You can get away with saying things. <laughs> you say, well, it was Purim, you know. You can't have complaints. The Rebbe seems to be saying something sharp here. The Purim Torah over here is not a funny Torah. It's actually he's going to say something sharp. But, it's very Gishmak. A very strong lesson. But he says, it's a Purim, you know. I said it on Purim, so you can't have any complaints that I'm saying this. Because Purim, you can say, you're speaking from a place of Adelo Yoda. Okay? You're not so responsible for what you say. Uba Agdama, my first preface. Regarding Purim, it says in the Gemara, the idea that we bring close the redemption to the redemption. We try to connect the, the redemption of Purim, Geulas Purim, the redemption of Purim, even though it wasn't a complete redemption. Because on Purim, even after the miracle, we remained servants of Achashverosh. The Geulas Pesach to the Geulah of Pesach. That's why Purim is in, is in Adar, and immediately after that is Nisan, is Pesach. And that's the reason why we make Purim on the second Adar. If there's two Adars, we make Purim on the second Adar in order to connect one Geulah to the other. This is an Indian that's Nagela Allah. In a year, not like this year, 
But in a year where there's two others, so the matters of Purim happen in the other that's close to Nisan. And this is as follows. In Purim, there was the idea of an Ahapachu. Now he's, he's explaining where do you see a similarity between the, the redemption of Purim to the redemption of Pesach. So he says, in the same idea that we spoke about before, Purim was an idea of Afichas Kazeris Haman. There was a, it flipped over. From, this, from the problem itself, we had our redemption. From the very darkness came Kanal. Kamoi, for example. Mordechai. Mordechai became very rich and he became therefore very influential. His wealth came from the house of Haman itself. As explained in the simple read of the Megillah. That's regarding to Mordechai. Now, regarding all the Jewish people, which it says there was light and joy and splendor, whatever. So after the, the, the decree was, was nullified, it wasn't like, okay, now things went back to what it was before. Before, Jews lived pretty comfortable in Persia, before the decree even started. So now things went back to before because no one is bothering the Jews. No, it didn't go back to what it was before. It was extra light and joy more than ever before. So you see that the, the, the decree itself contributed, the darkness contributed to the good days. We find that the Gemara says in Masech Shabbos regarding Matan Torah that, for instance, our commitment to the Torah became enhanced after, after Purim. Compared to our entire observance until Purim, all the hundreds of years, on the Pasuk that the Jewish people re-accepted, they re-accepted what they had earlier. The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos that by the giving of the Torah, we were able to have an excuse. The Jewish people are able to have a, what do they call it, a, a um, I forgot what, what the word is in, in English, where you have a, like, like, like an alib, like a, an excuse. You have a, a way out of it. That, they, 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 that we were forced. But after Purim, we can't argue that anymore. That means that Purim enhanced Judaism, even it even it even lifted Yom Kippur, because on Yom Kippur too the Jewish people were able to say we never accepted it. So even Yom Kippur is included. Like there wasn't any great Yom like the fifteenth of Av in Yom Kippur. Yom Chasanas the day of our marriage. Where the latter luchas were given, yet. Because Yom Kippur's greatness, the Torah was given, yet on the entire Torah, we say, was enhanced afterwards. And in the days of Purim. After the decree of Haman, which triggered, the decree of Haman is what triggered and provoked the Mesiris Nefesh of the Jewish people. In a manner that by every single Jew, the Jew inside of him, the Yehudi, awakened. Nasa hakimu kaimu al kolos in yinatayra mitzvahs, the kaimu, the Jewish, became much stronger than ever before. And this excuse that the, the Jews were able to have was again, was at that point interrupted or stopped. Because now they accepted it out of love. So what do you see from here? The idea is that the decree didn't only evaporate, the decree itself 
brought about intense, intensified commitment and intensified Judaism and the miracle and all of that. So the Rebbe says, similar to that was also in Pesach. In which sense? Kamoyken, Oisa Gulas Mitzrayim, was also the Gula of Mitzrayim. Gulas Pesach, Shesmucha, the Gulas Purim. The Gula of Pesach, which was close to the Gula of Purim. From the Tzara itself, they were healed. Dafka through Golus Mitzrayim, they went out of Egypt in great wealth. Physically, because so it was spiritually. The Gemara says there wasn't a Jew that didn't have 90 Libyan donkeys. That was a special kind of donkey. Those were like Mercedes donkeys. But these donkeys were like, or Dodger, uh, Dodge, no, it's more like a pickup truck donkey, you know, like a really gazunta. So um, every Jew had at least 90 of those that was carrying loads of silver and gold out of Egypt. So you see that their wealth came from the Golas itself. It wasn't like, okay, the Egyptians were defeated and God gave them money. It came from the Golas. God asked them they should take it, that they should borrow it from Egypt. And you will empty Egypt. They made it like a, a uh, place where a, what is it called when you have a, uh, I don't know, I forgot, I, forgot, I forgot the name of a, where you store wheat, a, no, there's a word for it, fallow, no, something like that, a, sallow, what? Silo, oh yeah. So they, it's like a silo that doesn't have any wheat, they emptied it out. Dafka through the exile, the Jewish people were able to take out all the treasures of the world, it says that all the treasures of the world during the famine first went down to Egypt, and then Dafka, because the Jewish people were in exile there, they were able to extract that wealth. And over here we're coming to the Purim Torah, the Rebbe says. Regarding the Golas of Egypt that started with the concept of let us try to outsmart the Jews. The next piece is not going to be talking at all about Purim. It's talking only about something that happened regarding to Pesach. But the Rebbe is connecting it because Purim and Pesach have a similarity. Okay. What does he say? It's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says, The Gemara says in Masech when Paro was getting worried that the Jewish population growth, he called an emergency meeting with his chief of staff. There were three advisors in Paro's, in Paro's chief of staff. Who were they? Bilam, Eov, and Yisro. Bilam, the wicked prophet Bilam. Job, Eov. And Yisro, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. These are the three top advisors to Paro. What happened? Birlam was the one who gave him the advice to kill the Jewish babies. Birlam Shayats, in the end, so what was his punishment, Birlam? Neherag, he was killed. Because he, he advised to kill Jewish babies, he himself was killed. Eev Shashasak, Eev was silent. Job didn't give his opinion, he just sat silently. He didn't want to say. Nidam B'Yesurim, 
he was punished with, with suffering. We know that Eov suffered his entire life. It was punishment for being silent. Yisro Shabarach, Yisro escaped. Zachum He merited that his grandchildren were in the Sanhedrin. Shenemar brings a pasuk that he had grandchildren in the Sanhedrin. The Rebbe says, I don't get it. And the Rebbe is going to ask a question on all three. First of all, what difference does this make? Why is the Gemara telling this to us? How it came about, how the decree came about. Who were the advisors? What was each one's punishment? It has nothing to do with going out of Egypt. This has to do with Golos of Egypt. The actual Golos, the going out of Egypt happened over a hundred years later. This let us be smart against the Jewish people. This emergency meeting happened right after Yosef died. and that generation. The real hardship of the exile started after this. It became really bitter. From when Miriam was born. She's called Miriam because of the bitterness of the exile. In the time of 86 years. What was, was. So you have to say, even though this happened before God separated the Jewish people from the nations, through carrying you on the wings of eagles and bringing you to me, and God said, you will be my cherished, my treasure from all the nations. We can still learn from it regarding our conduct today. <coughs> Even though really the experience of the Jewish people in terms of <coughs> starts later with the Exodus, and this is still part of the decree, still we can learn. And now we need to understand. We need to understand regarding the three, the three approaches of Paro's advisors. Bilam gave advice what Paro wanted to hear. Paro, Paro wanted to hurt the Jewish people. Bilam knew that. And Bilam advised him according to what Paro wanted. Iyar Shashasak, Iyar was silent, the Yisra Shabarach, and Yisro escaped. It doesn't mean that he just escaped. It means, <coughs> he protested. He said the opposite of Paro. That's, that's why he had to escape. Because he, Hepachachayim, opposite of life. That's how it is in, 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 in all dictators. You have to say what they want you to say. If you, if you don't tell them, they ask for advice, but if you don't tell them what they want to hear, they kill you. That's how it was with Stalin, and that's how it was with Hitler, and that's what it was with all these crazy people. You have to tell them what they want. He had to run away. Now we can have a question on all three of them. What's the question? Bilam Shayat Neherag. What does it say? Bilam that gave advice got killed. So the Rebbe asks a very simple question. Bilam is appointed by Paro. He's appointed by Paro. He's obligated to do his job for the, for the well-being of Egypt. He's not here to protect the Jewish people. 
he's hired for a job. Egypt felt threatened by the Jewish population growth. So he needs to advise and to hit the best of his ability to give a good, a good um, advisable advice for Egypt. If that's the case, did ever says, so why is he, well, what's so bad what he did? Since Bilam was the advisor of Paro, and he moved, and it's understood, when Paro consults with him in Alpit Sedek, the Yosher, based on righteousness, he needs to give him advice that is for the benefit of Egypt. Even if it might not be the, the good of the Jewish people. It's not his business. Paro is not advising, <coughs> counseling with him regarding to know what's good for the Jews. Paro has a serious concern that the Jewish population is growing until they're going to take over the land. So Bilam has to give him advice. That is to the benefit of Egypt. And since he fulfilled his tafkid, as an advisor for Paro, why does he get a punishment? Such a great punishment, he has to get killed. The Rebbe says he deserves a medal. He fulfilled his tafkid. His, his to give a good advice to, the, to, to, to Egypt. Without being afraid of the Jewish people. See, Bilam is a prophet. So he's a Navi. And he knows the, the, the mind above. He sees the visions of Shakai. It says in Safri so much that the only competitor to Moshe Rabbeinu is Bilam in terms of prophecy. That only for the Jewish people they don't have a Navi like Moshe, a prophet like Moshe. But amongst the nations there is a Navi, Umanehu Bilam. And who is that Bilam? The Yoda, so he knew, He knew that it's not that for himself it's a bad thing for him to start up with this children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, because he's a spiritual guy, and he can see how precious the Jewish people are in the eyes of a God. And yet he had the courage to say, to speak what he, the right thing for, for Egypt. Egypt wants to know what to do, and notwithstanding putting himself in jeopardy. Rebbe is saying that as, a, as an advisor, this is his job. And here he's overlooking his own, his own because he fears the Jewish people, because he sees spiritually what what it means to mess with them, and yet he disregards his own well-being to advise Paro with advice that will be good for Egypt. So, so what's wrong with that? He did not, he cast, he wasn't afraid, and he filled his, his as the advisor to Paro, to give good advice to Egypt. And nevertheless we say, not only that he's not supposed to do this, but even more than this, 
He needs to die for this. Seems to be the opposite of Torah's emes, the Torah's ayosher, and the Torah of correctness. If you're hired by someone, you need to advise them according to what is, what is correct for them. We know that you know, it comes when a real estate or any kind of transactions, you have a broker, they have to work for the seller. If, they, if they're a broker for the pens, which they have to be honest. They can't work for the other party. They have to work for the benefit. And that's it. Well, that is a of Now is a big question. Eov was silent. He was now, he was going to have horrible suffering because he was silent. Now, why does he deserve a punishment? Because he was lacking in courage. He was afraid. In other words, the reason why he, he didn't say anything because he really wanted to protest. But he was afraid to protest against Paro because he knows that Paro, if you tell him something that he doesn't like, he'll kill you. So that's why he was afraid. So he didn't say anything against the Jewish people. Because he didn't want to hurt them. On the other hand, if there is a complaint on Eiv, if we're going to have our complaints on Eiv, we should have a much bigger argument. Not why he was silent, but why didn't he speak up? Meaning, the main emphasis should not have been silence. The main emphasis should have been, why didn't you join? Because Paro has, is asking three advisors. So if he would have joined um, Yisro, there would have been two against one. So he would have seemingly weighed the scale and saved the Jewish people. So that should have been the complaint against him. He had three advisors. Naturally, it makes sense to say, Paro would have listened to the majority. If Eoiv would have said the same like Yisro, it would have weighed it for the good. They would have nullified the decree. Because he was silent. Because he kept out, what happened? Now you only have one against one. So now you couldn't decide. So Paro is going to do what he wants. The complaint to Eiv should be not that he's silent. Should say, Eiv shaloi diber tov. He did not speak good. And that's why he ruined it. That. Or it should have said, he did not nullify the decree. That the problem that the complaints were having is just his silence. That the complaint is not that he didn't do good for the Jewish people. Or that he didn't nullify the decree. The silence itself is what he's accountable for. Even though the silence is considered much less, what's the problem with silence? The problem with silence is that he's intimidated. Okay, why is that so bad compared to the idea that he did not, that he didn't save the Jewish people? You had a chance, you didn't save them. The explanation over here is this is so amazing. Hatayna neged bilam. 
the, 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 the Bilaam was punished not because God is punishing him for hurting the Jewish people. The, the complaints against him was that he wasn't advising for the, ben, for the, for the, for the for the benefit of Egypt. He didn't think about the true good, not for the Jewish people, that's not his job. He did not think about the true good of Egypt. The good of Egypt demands that they should not hurt the Jewish people. The good of Egypt, not the good of the Jewish people. Kivan, why? Because anybody that touches the Jewish people is like poking God in the eye. So how can it be if you're going to start up with the Jewish people, you're going to, it's going to be good for you. And Bilam should know this, and he does know it, because he's a prophet. And therefore he should have told Paro that for, 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 for Paro's good, and for the good of Egypt, he shouldn't do it. He should, he, should, he, should, he should let the Jewish people alone. It's not because he hurt the Jewish people. If harming the Jewish people would be really good for Egypt, Bilam could have argued, who's paying his paycheck? Paro is paying his paycheck. He's hired by Paro. He needs to give Paro advice that is for the benefit of Egypt. What's the complaint to Bilam? He was punished for harming the Egyptians, not for harming the Jewish people. That's what he, Bilam was doing. Because he did not, he caused them whatever they had in the end. Because he caused them to poke God in the eye. Because whoever starts up with them starts up with God. If he would have been a regular human being. He doesn't have to know more than Paro. He's looking at it from a very human perspective. Yeah, if you have growth population, you got to stem their growth. you got to stop it. Bilam is privy to inside information. He knows what's going on above. He should have said to Paro openly. You're right, that based on your rational conclusions, maybe you will cause them to go up from the land, the Jewish people will, I'm sorry, the Jewish people will grow so much, and they'll drive you out of the land. But one thing makes them, one thing is for sure, don't mess with them. In other words, you're right, you have all the reason that you should worry. But you can't harm Israel, you're dealing with the, you start up with the wrong people. Anybody that starts up with them is like poking Hashem in the eye. And even though God swore that He's not going to bring a, a deluge to the world, but Hashem did not make an oath regarding one nation. So that's why in the end, Egypt was drowned in the sea. And therefore, you're, you're jeopardizing yourself. Bilam should have said that to Par. He was killed for not giving good advice to Paro. Since this is the real good of Egypt, in as an advisor for Paro, he should have told him the truth, and he knew the truth. Oh, but why didn't he say it? 
in addition that he was a Jew hater. But why didn't he say it? Because he knew Parah doesn't want to hear that. So he was a chicken. He gave someone advice based he wanted him to like him. So he gave him advice that he wants to hear even though that was detrimental to Egypt. So in terms of his job as an advisor, he is, he is, he is putting his own personal safety or whatever it is above the, 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 the well-being of Paro and of all of Egypt. He knew that that's, that's opposite of what Paro wants to hear. If he would say that, he will have to escape. Someone starts up with the king, the king will kill you. He might have to run away. This is the argument to Bilam. He feared Paro so much. Maybe he didn't even think about this. But the reason he didn't think about it was because he was intimidated. He feared him and he did not think it through the way he should. He wanted to find favor in Paro's eyes. He'll tell him what he wants to hear. He thinks this is good for Egypt. This itself is bad for Egypt. And this is bad for Paro and his armies. This is so classical, Rebbe. Non-Jews need to know the Emes. Never be afraid to say the truth. Never. Now similar to the Eiv. Wow, watch, watch this. This is so powerful. The Rebbe says, don't be a non-controversial person. This is the lesson from Eiv. Don't be someone, oh, you're making everybody happy. Everybody happy. Everybody should like you. Everybody should like you. No one needs you in this world if everybody likes you. Speak up. He said, when someone says good or bad, at least you're taking a stand. You see, this is a person who has guts, and you're trustworthy. To, to give your, to fulfill your, 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 uh, your tafkid, your appointment, as an advisor. You're saying what you really believe in. Even if it's going to upset people. But then there's a different type of person. Someone wants that everybody should love them. See? He wants to pacify everybody. Oh, not, but, you, but you can't make everybody happy. Why? One side says, Every baby boy that's going to be born, throw him in the, in the river. The other side says, anybody that touches them pokes God in the eye. So you have to, so you're either like this or like that. If you start up with the Jewish people, you're... You can't make both happy. You're not going to be able to find favor in the eyes of both. Ah, so you have, so what, what do you do in this situation? That's why you're better off. That's why the person decides it's better off just not to voice my opinion. I'll just be quiet. So that tomorrow in the morning, 
Yochalavi b'sheket, he can come quietly. L'chol echad matzdadim, he can come to each side. V'loy meloy, loy amarti davin hekdach. I never said anything against you. V'ashalachain, all of the snagim, he come on yimidit. You should be my best friend because I never said it. You can go to one side that way. Humad if sheyichtev b'mesechta soita. He, 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 he prefers that a Mesechta Sota should be written. She'iyav shasak, that Iyav was silent. Kach, she'bilam lo'yochalova ye'elo betainas, that Bilam should not be able to come to him with complaints. How come? How come you, you, you negated me? Because he didn't negate Bilam. He never said against Bilam. She'ereloyama dovenengo, he never said anything against Bilam. V'gam Moshe Rabbeinu lahavdil lo'yochalova ye'elo betainas. And Moshe... Lahavdil can't even come to him on Tainus. He never said to kill the babies. Understand? He, he's friends with everybody. He wants, you know, everybody should be in peace with him. I'm good, whatever. He's afraid to take a stand. That's the complaint to Yisrael. That's why. When we're arguing against Eov, it's not that he didn't. The complaint is not that he didn't say something for the good of the Jewish people. Then he could have nullified the Gezerah. Or even if he wouldn't nullify it, at least the decree, he can at least argue that he, that he did, did not have a part of it. That would have been a big complaint. The Rebbe says that's not the greatest complaint. There is a much greater complaint. The fact that you're quiet. Why are you silent? By divine providence, you were appointed in a position that you can, you can have a say in the matter. Remember, you are given a situation that you can speak up and make a difference. Save the truth. Don't try to be popular. And if you don't have strength, to spatter. So resign. Lecha pesa. Go to your house. Go home. Valzai meres Torah's emes. And this is what Torah's emes says. Sho'uv de she'iyev shasak. The fact that iyev silent. Chamuri yoysim ezeh. Sh'lo yishtata levatala sakzer. Is even worse. It's that very attitude to try to make everybody happy. In other words, you're not at all a person that's, that's dedicated to anything. Just to yourself. You should continue having your position. And everybody should love you. But this is what the Torah's Emes says. That what? That Eoiv that was silent is worse than that he didn't stop the decree. In a certain sense, the Rebbe says, it's worse than someone who has a crooked head and believes that you should make such a decree. Because at least that person is speaking his mind. At least he says what he believes. But to be a constantly a, 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 a satisfier and a this, to make everybody happy, that's, that's, that's a person without a backbone, that's nothing. Hakol yoiser toiv. Everything is better. Ubavat shaloy laharis. Shahasederu loyli istachtach im afechad. Don't show that your, your, your style, your way, is not to get into fight with anybody. Babishosha yedeya ba'atzmai. When you know yourself, that this decree to throw kids into the water, who is obviously against the good of the Jewish people. The gam It's not going to be good for Egypt either. You're quiet. Why? 
even though you were appointed to be an advisor. <coughs> From the three that are there, even if you're sitting outside, your voice could be heard. <laughs> the Rebbe says, the Rebbe's going very harsh on Eiv, that Eiv prides himself. The Gemara says, Eiv was silent. Ah, I'm silent, I wasn't. So the Gemara says, You can continue arguing. Everybody's my friend. I never upset anybody. Everybody likes me. The truth is, that this is even worse than the bigger than, than, than what we might have thought is a bigger complaint that he did not say that we should nullify the decree. The mere fact that you do not speak up and you're silent. And that is, by the way, something that we all have to consider. At times that we have to speak, even if it's not popular. And even if this one won't like it or that one won't like it. If this is a truth, and this is a truth that is important and vital and crucial, especially at the time when something is crucial, Trying to be, everybody should like you and everybody should this. What? No one needs you. That was there. And now, now we're going to see something amazingly positive regarding Yisro's uh, conduct. According to the way the because Yisro is totally opposite. That what? According to the Gemara. Yisrei was the third one that was asked. After Bilam gave his advice, Eiv Shashasak, Eiv gave his advice, they turned to Bilam. I'm sorry, turned to Yisro. Then came, Kvar Haven, he already understood, that he will not be able to tilt it anymore. Why? Because, let's understand something. He already notices he can't fix the problem. Why can't he fix the problem? One advisor already said, kill the Jews. The other one is not taking a stand. At best, if he says, save the Jews, it's going to be one against one. And he knows what Paro wants. Paro wants what? To kill the Jews. So Paro's not going to listen to him anyways. He can't save the situation anymore. And the Rebbe is deducing it from the fact that he's being asked last. After he heard already that Eov is quiet. So now he can't fix the situation. So now he has a choice. He can either jeopardize himself, say something, it's not going to benefit the Jewish people. All that he's going to have is he's going to, he's going to put himself in trouble. He's going to have to, first of all, he might be killed. Even if he manages to escape, like he did, he's not going to, he's, he, what did he gain? He didn't gain anything. But more than that, he can make a calculation that I was going to give a whole explanation. That he's better off at least being silent so he can stay, so he can manage the kashras of the Jewish people. He can, uh, he can still be there. He can help them regarding the girls. You know, they're killing the boys. He can help them regarding the boys. 
if he's going to be banished from the land, he won't even be able to help them at all. So he's just going to be... So he has all the reasons and calculations why what? Why should he be quiet at best? And yet Yisro didn't make any of the stupid calculations. And when he saw an atrocity being done, that this and this, he spoke up and he gave his thing. And, and, and that's the Rebbe says, that's what a Jew is supposed to do. Not a million calculations. The, again, the Rebbe fights, the Rebbe is such a fighter against these scheming of humans that are so fake and just do the right thing. As that was it. And stop with this. As he says, well, the best, the Rebbe says, at best there's going to be two even voices. If he's going to voice his opinion, it's going to be Yisro against Bilam. And regarding Parah, he knows Paro is nothing better than Stalin. He knows what Paro is going to think. The biggest proof is, the proof about Paro is, because the moment he gave his advice, he had to run away. This that he said that he doesn't, that he doesn't um, agree, and he escaped, it's against it's against logic. Why? Since anyways he can't nullify the decree. To stop them of murdering the baby boys. So if he doesn't agree to Bilam, let him be quiet. What would he gain from that? It's like this, at least he'll stay in his position. Why? He'll remain an advisor. He'll still be an advisor. He'll be able to help the Jewish people and other things. Because Pare only decreed on the males. He's still saying, let the, let, let the girls live. If he's going to remain on the board, <laughs> if he's going to remain on the board, on Pare's advisory board, he'll be able to help out. That all the daughters should be alive. Should be with a more Jewish, <laughs> with a, with, in a Jewish way. Everything should be done with kashros. Should be Jewish schools. If he's going to speak his mind, and he says he doesn't agree with it, he's going to have to escape. He's going to have to let the Jewish people remain ownerless. Uh, guardless, biat paro in the hands of the wicked paro. This is the opposite of the good of the Jewish people. You see where the mind can take you? Give you all kinds of calculations of why. Eh? But, but bottom line is, not protesting the murdering of the babies of the Jewish people is something you cannot do. And zeuza. And don't make me any calculations. And that's what Yisro did. How can you agree with the guy? You're right. Okay, again, he's explained now that if he stays at least on the advisory board, he'll be able to help them. But you still can't agree. I have no choice. I anyways can't see, save the boys. At least let me save the girls. And to save the parents. And he'll be able to save the parents. They shouldn't have to work very hard. If all the other things. 
When Yisrael saw that he anyways cannot nullify the decree, he should have gone ask the rabbi and looked in He should have used a little bit of his mind. He should have made a cheshpin, some kind of calculations. He has a serious appointment by Paro. This guy is like, you know, the, the, the ruler of the, whole, of the whole world. He's only one of three. He's got such an important position. He can influence world, world policies. How much Paro values him. And now he's going to, there's no room, he says, to give, to give a, 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 a advice that's going to remain just the view of the minority. Anyways, won't accept it. And then he'll have to escape. He's going to have to sit in Midian. Who's going to remain in, who's going to remain in Mitzrayim? Only Paro and Bilam. He's a good, good for nothing because he's just quiet. So who's there active? Only Paro and Bilam. Hanaga Kizu Pirushai. So what is this going to accomplish? Lahafkir es Kolben Yisrael Shanem Tzambe Mitzrayim. To, 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 Chas V'Shalem, cast the Jewish people in, into the mercy of Paro and Bilam. Elamai. Oh, the words then. Ataroitzel Aharish Hinach Yehudi Shemesnagal Pitera. You want to show that you're a Jew, that you're conducting yourself according to the Torah. You can't say something that is not according to Torah. For your own COVID. To show that you are an, ext- an extremist. Is it worth it to put in danger the chinuch of all the Jewish people in Egypt? The 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 kashrus of all the Jews? And stopping their horrible labor? And why? Just because you want to be a frumak and a zealot? Motive, it's better. It's better that for five minutes you should compromise and speak false. And say, what you agree that the baby boy should be killed. Because that's going to happen anyways. Whether you say it or not, it's going to happen. And at least, like this, you're going to be beneficial in helping out. Regarding an actuality, anyways, doesn't make a difference. The majority is against you anyways. And at least, in that situation, Paro will be happy with you. You're going to be able to remain in Egypt. Continue being one of Paro's advisors. You're going to be an insider. You're going to keep your foot in the door. And you'll be able to help the Jewish people. You're going to be able to help all the Jews that are remaining in Egypt and all that they need. See what kind of amazing calculation he should have made. Even though this is a very big kasha. The Gemara doesn't find the need to answer this question about Yisrael. Well, you can ask the question. 
So based on all logic, you should have done this. The reason is, the Rebbe says, from the fact that the Gemara doesn't have to deal with this, it's because Yisrael did not need at all to go look in Shulchan Aruch and to make any kinds of situations. He knew one thing clearly. is how it needs to be. He knew that what he is going to say is going to be cancelled. He's going to need to escape. Like it was. But nevertheless, when Paro asks, because he's a straight person, he's not, he's not a Jew, he was a, he was a Gentile. He's a straight person. He was an honest, moral, ethical person. Even though it was before Matan Torah. You have to say the truth without calculations. Once you start making calculations, to allow, God forbid, that they should kill or murder all the Jewish boys, to save the Jewish girls. Don't ask me. I'm a straight person. He's a straight person. He's an advisor and he's responsible. He has no right to be silent. There's no place to make calculations. Don't sit and, and, and make business with the Torah. Who sees that this blood is redder than this blood? The blood of the boys is so, has so much value. The blood of the girls has so much value. They're all Jews. Don't kill Jews over here. There's an argument. You won't be able to save. Who are you to ask to make calculations? You're an advisor. You're being asked. You've got to say your truth. You've got to say what's emes. The Megillah says... The same story happens over here. The Megillah says that it's clear that the Jewish people are going to get saved from, some, from somewhere. That's for sure going to happen. It's possible that you believe that it will come through you, like Mordechai says to Esther, or, she is or the Jewish people will be saved from somewhere else. If you're going to be in action and you're not going to do what you need to do, then the Ebershter is going to bring it about through someone else. But you're going to get lost. You're going to lose the schus. The Friedrich Rebbe says regarding an Asif and Petterburg that the Rebbe Marash said such a, such, such a thing. As we said earlier, since the Torah teaches us all of this, this is not something that is here just to tell us about what happened. This is something that happened in Egypt. All kingdoms are called on the name of Mitzrayim. And this repeats itself. History repeats itself. In many generations. This happened in Spain. It happened in Germany. It happened in France. Berussia, it happened in Russia. It happened in many countries. It can happen to every Jew in every place that is. Sometimes you're being asked and you're going to start making calculations or all kinds of things. 
you need to speak the word of what's real and what's true and what's and what's and what's and what's and what's the emes. Kasha Yehudi Chai b'Makom Ploini. When a yid lives in a place, b'Shchunim Asi Emes b'Brooklyn, in a certain place in Brooklyn, or he's Melbourne, or he's living in Melbourne, or the like, Yechaylam Lavei Elav Latzil Elad Cheshbon. They can come to him and start making cheshbonis. Lim Karchelik Mesuyim Ahatayra to sell a certain part of the Torah. Al Yedeiz Hashayim Arhepacha Torah. By by him saying the opposite of Torah. Loy Beglal Shachay Shachin Kedaya Davar. <laughs> Not in a way that, that he realizes this is actually worth it. But because you're the advisor of Paroi, the community council. Ah, as long as you shall be able to keep your position in the community council. <laughs> but by that you'll be able to save other things in the Torah. So you, you, you know, they're asking you to, you know, to cut corners. The Torah gives you three ways of responding. Someone makes a cheshven that he doesn't want to get into, mess himself up with paro, loses favor in paro, whoever that paro is. Not only isn't he considering the good, of the people who this decree is going to harm, the end is going to happen, his whole brain is going to become crooked. He's going to give counsel, is going to cause Egypt to be destroyed. That means that you're actually going to harm the very person who's advising, who's taking a counsel with you. Then there are people who just, they, they don't want to get into, and therefore, he'd rather sit remaining in the board. Doesn't want to step out of the board. But he wants to be quiet. So tomorrow they'll be able to print in the, in the newspaper. He, oh, like you always have in the UN. <laughs> Abstinent. They, they, they abstained. Abstained. So you won't be able to say that you 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 were you did the anti-Israel thing, huh? You abstained. If, if if you felt it was unjust, why didn't you speak up? No, abstained. <coughs> so when he meets Paroi or Bilam, he says, "Oh yeah, I agree with you." And when you meet Moshe Rabbeinu, then you say, I'm, "I'm I agree with you." In other words, and obviously we understand that Pariah Moshe Rabbeinu over here has many, many, many different faces. The idea is that you're keeping yourself kind of not mixing in, not mixing in. And then there's another person, the Yitzhahara comes to him. You have two ways to go. Either to be an action, and say your, speak your mind, then you're going to have to escape. Oh, no, I'm sorry. and you'll have to run away. Oi, the other thing you can do is make a pshara. What are you going to do? Limkares abanim, you'll sell the boys. Since you're in the minority, you won't be able to save them anyways. You want to save the girls. And again, this is just very general, but this can be, you know, you're going to cut this in Judaism so you can save something else. 
The kim sha'at to Adam Maisi, since you're a practical person, and as a advisor to Pari, you have to give him a practical solution. How to lead Egypt. You should try to do whatever you can that you should remain sitting in your seat. Remain in the Pari's advisory board. Yeah, so you'll agree to Pari's to mind, even if you know that it's absolutely evil. Or at best, just be quiet. You're not doing it for your own good, that you're going to be silent, like, like Eoiv did. You're doing it for all the girls. Through this, the power is going to let you stay alive. Like he allowed Eoiv. You're going to remain in the inside. Helping all the girls. And their parents and grandparents. Regarding all three shittas, that the Jewish people can have. <coughs> the Torah comes and gives us light. The Torah gives us light, it gives us clarity. It illuminates the way. If you want your grandchildren to end up in the Sanhedrin, <coughs> like we find by Yisrael, <laughs> and to connect a good for you and your children forever, <laughs> say what the Torah says, <laughs> don't start making all kinds of calculations. <laughs> If this is popular, if everybody agrees to it, if it's only going to be the minority, <laughs> don't start making calculations of what's going to come out of it, good or bad. <laughs> to do a favor for all the Jewish girls, <laughs> by this that you will agree to the, give your consent to the, to the decree, <laughs> to murder all the Jewish babies. You're going to give your consent for that. Because of what? But by that, you make yourself a calculation, you'll be able to help the girls. That's not the way. And when you conduct yourself in this way, two things happen. First of all, when you, when you stand for truth, Paro will anyways just bust. And, and all his entire thing will fall. In the end, we'll go out of Golos Mitzrayim, Biyad Rama. Yeserim ezu yatsu berchush gadol will go out with a great berchush. And like the days of going out of Egypt, I'll show wonders. Very close, we'll go out. Not even, not even a foot, a footprint will not stay in Egypt. And the great congregation will return here. Bum Iver, amongst them will be the blind, Upiseach, and the lame, Hara, pregnant woman, Vyaledes, and women who gave birth, Yachtav together. Ubo Vedanu Bemorim Bimaroim Tzion, everybody will sing in the in the in the heights of, of Tzion, Bekarav Mamaj Vasimchas Oilam al Rosha. Now I have no doubt the Rebbe was talking about somebody over here, someone that uh, he, that uh, is in the Knesset, is in the this, is a uh, who, uh, you know, when it comes to matters, 
whether me Yehudi or this or that, and people. But I think the lesson is uh, for all of us. Obviously, if it says the lesson, it's for all of us. The theme that runs through all of this is that a yid has to always be connected to the pintle yid, to this truth, this deep inner truth, and not allow himself to to allow his mind to play tricks. And the Rebbe's whole, whole, both pieces, the first and the second that we learned, it's all related to the idea of a Yid being anchored in Lamailam and Asechel, in a rock-solid stubbornness of emes, of truth. Because our Malik will come and dray you a cup and give you all kinds of, 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 of holy reasons of why to cool your enthusiasm, why to, or to not be inspired, or not to, anything. And over here, you know, make, to, you know, finagle your way around things and so on and so forth. That's not the Jewish way. Chaim.